We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Tonight we are here to break down the Giants' offensive tape on the All-22 Coaches film in their Week 16 loss to the Minnesota Vikings. I'll start by saying this, Nick, after watching the tape. I'm even more enthused than I was in our reaction video with what I saw on the field. Look, as far as moral victories go, this is as good as it gets for me. Why? I thought the Giants proved on Sunday in their loss that there is some hope for this passing game in 2022. Everyone's talked about the passing game like, oh, just wait till 2023 when they get the receivers. Just wait till 2023 when they trust their own line. They showed in these last two weeks, and I really credit the coaching staff for that and Jones for this and the receivers and the O-line that we're going to, you know, we're going to take a step back. We're going to say, you know what? Let's trust the passing game a little. How do we trust the passing game a little? How do we work it in smoothly? Let's start by just doing some quick game, right? They started off versus Washington, a lot of just quick game, a couple interesting intermediate vertical concepts, but a lot of just quick game. And you saw it in the first Washington matchup in overtime. Then you saw them double down on it in their next win over the Washington football team last week. Start with the quick game. Let Jones go to the gun. Let him operate a lot of uh, pass-heavy game plan that puts stress on the offensive line, that puts stress on the receivers. Then against the Vikings, they said, you know what? Let's expand that a little bit. And that's what I saw on tape, an expansion of the pass game. There was more vertical concept. There was more of these switch releases that create vertical separation. There was more of like, you know, some hot, some, there's still a lot, some post wheel, but there was some like, you know, backside concepts, like backside posts. And I'm like, okay, interesting. There was more vertical concepts with Daniel Bellinger that I'm starting to see now on, on the film every single week. Bellinger was more, ver- now they haven't been thrown yet. We haven't seen one attempted yet, but it'll come. There will be a time where Jones throws one of those vertical concepts to Bellinger. I'm starting to see them come into the mix. And just more of the quick game as well, because you know what? He's operating quick game really well right now. And I'm glad they gave Jones the opportunity to do this, because in my opinion, at Duke and with Shermer, this was always his best thing, getting him in the gun. He's a, And this wasn't all gun. Like They had a lot of their, their big pass plays from under center with the play action, kind of a throwback to what they were accomplishing early this season. And kudos to them for that. Obviously, one of the interception, the interception came on that too, but... Man, I was really impressed with the game plan from Kafka. I know it's the matchup, too. Look, they're not going to face the Vikings every week. But I now have hope that this passing game could come alive potentially in the playoffs if things break right. Because now we have proof that, no, we can't. It's not there. The proof that we have now, at least on tape, Nick, isn't 
no matter what, you can't run a passing game with this O-line. You just can't do it. Well, they proved they could over the last weeks. No matter what, you just can't run a passing game with these receivers. Well, we're seeing Hodgins make plays. We're seeing Slade make plays. Even James, who had a huge drop, but is doing some things to make plays. So they are operating a pass game now. It looked great in this game. This is the best the offense for me has looked all year. Like Some people on Twitter were talking about, shout out Chris the Entertainer. I understand what he's coming from. He wanted more balance in that game. I did not. I did not want more balance. If the Giants had a more balanced game plan and they ran the ball a lot, we would have seen a lot of what we've seen all season. No offense, no explosive plays. In this game, the Giants, and let me get these stats up, Nick, real quick. Nine total plays of 15-plus yards. This was a single-game high for the Lions, not including the uh, for the Giants, not including the Lions game, which is garbage time, which we don't count in the same way, and it shouldn't be. Five plays of 20-plus yards. That was also a single-game high for the Giants. Four plays of 20-plus yards to three different receivers. Also, of course, a single-game high for the Giants. It's their most explosive game of the season by far. So, no, I don't want balance. I want explosive plays. I want opportunities. I want these pass-heavy game plans and pass-heavy attacks. That's how you win in the NFL consistently. That's how you create explosive plays consistently. That's how you generate points consistently in the NFL. So I'm glad they made the move there. I don't want balance. What I want is this. I like. I think the Giants offense is going to operate best, even as it stands today, with the issues on the interior offensive line. And they are real. The issues of receiver, and they are real in the sense that they don't have a true wide receiver one. I do like their complimentary pieces. But even with those issues, I still think they're a better offense when they go to the gun and let Jones operate this thing. Let it run through Jones. I know Barkley's awesome, but let it run through Jones. Because even in this game, Nick, we saw some examples of good run plays at a shotgun and when with more 11 personnel in the field. I've always been a big believer. You can run better out of 11 personnel if you're the Giants and any team, really. So I was just really enthused with this man, and the film backed it up. It was a really fun tape to watch. Few things to say here. Now, yep. Saquon Barkley was heavily involved. It wasn't just like he wasn't involved right. in the passing attack. The guy had 10 targets, caught eight of them for 49 yards. And I think one major point of emphasis for Mike Kafka was anytime Daniel Jones thought that Saquon Barkley had any sort of leverage against a second level defender in the passing game, he was going to take that. Does this offense read high to low all the time? Like it doesn't. Like it does, sometimes will read low to high. If right. This offense, if Mike Kafka, Daniel Jones likes matchup for Saquon Barkley and it's a too high safety look, they're going to just get the football out of Daniel Jones' hands very quickly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people might construe it as a bad thing. It's not like they are averse to taking deep shots. I, I, we've been saying for weeks, we want them to take more deep shots, but they're not going to pass up the matchup of getting the football into Saquon Barkley's hands. And I'm okay with that. And you're right, man. There were a ton of switch releases. There were a ton of stacks to defeat man coverage where the number two receiver off of the ass of the number one receiver right. had a slightly delayed release and then went inside think about like the third and five drop by richie james there was another one earlier in the game against that same coverage that daniel jones actually went to the other side of the field but i'm sure mike kafka saw it and was like okay we got to come back right. to this in another third and five situation because we want to exploit it but in terms of the the matchup and the game plan in general i'm right there with you I don't necessarily want balance. Like, look, this defense sucks. Like, I'm encouraged by what we saw by the Giants, and hopefully they can take this rhythm and carry it into the playoffs if they end up securing a playoff berth. But the Minnesota Vikings have allowed the second most explosive plays in the entire NFL, and all but 10 of them are through the air. Like, they suck at defending the pass. They're absolutely terrible. I have the numbers right here in front of me. They have surrendered 67 explosive plays of 20 yards or more, and 57 of them, Dan, are through the air. That is the second most explosive plays allowed. Wow. Yeah. Look, the matchup played a role. I'm not going to sit here and tell you the only, the, you know, the Giants have figured it all out. Our offense is taking that next step because we still need pieces. And that's for sure. There still need 
wide receiver one for sure. Everyone knows that one. And they need a little bit. There were still major issues in the pass protection at times in this game, though. I did think overall it was much better than people are giving it credit for. But having said that, I feel like, I don't know, matchup aside, I watched this offense operate the way it has these last two weeks, which has been shotgun heavy, 11 personnel heavy, put it on Jones's hands instead of making it run through Barkley. And I just think it looks a lot better this way. I really do. I think Jones is a pretty good quick game thrower, and you can just generate a more consistent offense running quick game than going under center and running every first down, going under center and running every second and long, which is the Giants had been doing a lot of in that middle stretch of the season where they really bogged down as a team and what when what, like one, four and one or whatever the record was over those that six game stretch. They really had kind of been like, all right, well, let's keep doing what we're doing. It's that play action with the slide or that play action boot. And then it was like, all right, they're taking that away completely. Let's stick with the run. Then they're taking that away. But going to the quick game, I haven't really seen an answer yet for the quick game. There's been some corners who are sitting on routes and making some plays on it. But then the Giants have done a good job, like you said, of running like switch releases and different things to like create different levels, get different levels of the field open. Even one of the things you talked about with those like bunch formations and the stacked releases, there was one route that really could have been a big play if there wasn't such a pass protection breakdown or maybe if Jones had anticipated it. Let's be honest. It's okay to say that um, where they had the inside release with Darius Slayton. And Daniel Bellinger kind of ran like a little stop route over the middle. And Slayton ran like kind of like one of those interesting routes that I kind of see from like those great, great receivers, the Justin Jefferson types, where it's kind of out. It was like he broke inside and then and then kind of run to like a corner route vertically. And there was a miscommunication based on that with the two D-backs. They ran into each other. Slayton was wide open on that one. And there were a couple other vertical releases where Slayton created some great separation. So I think they're mixing in different concepts now that they've allowed themselves to go to a more pass heavy and more shotgun and more quick heavy. Uh, quick game concept, like run this through the passing game and different things open up in the pass game. Everybody says, oh, you run the ball to open a pass. I'm not so sure that's true. I feel like the Giants have had a, a massive expansion of their passing attack in the last two weeks when they've gone to a more pass heavy approach. Yes. And it's also not putting Daniel Jones in harm's way because they're not a lot of those long developing concepts, right. although they'll sprinkle those in. Like there was another double move on that Isaiah Hodgins deep catch. That was a double move. Another just phenomenal route to get Patrick Peterson all turned up. Like yep. I'm telling you, man, Isaiah Hodgins, for a guy that size to be able to run routes like that and sell his routes off the line of scrimmage, up his stem, and then at the point of break, it's pretty excellent. So I'm very excited about him being here. And you're right. The 11 personnel package, though, is is something that I'm I'm enjoying a little bit more. And that doesn't mean the Giants can't go to 12, can't right. use the big offensive line. And look at the evolution of Mike Kafka's offense just through this season. And we, We've been here every week right. discussing it. It was a large chunk, chunk of this season where they were just like, we're just going to go with six offensive linemen at, a, at an unreal rate, and we're going to try to run the football. Well, now, as you said, they have incorporated more of a pass quick game approach. This game, I think the Giants had the second most 11 personnel that they used percentage-wise in, in the entire season. First most was against the Eagles, where they got blown out, so they were in catch-up mode. So this game was very competitive, and the Giants still leaned on 11 personnel because that was the way to beat Minnesota. And that's what good coaching staffs do. They're going to change their game plans. They're going to alter right. their approach based on their opponent. And I think the best way to beat Minnesota, if the Giants are, I don't want to say fortunate enough to see them again, but yeah, if they're fortunate enough to see them again, the best way to beat this team, I think, is with 11 personnel, with a quick passing approach, and with attacking the short to intermediate parts of the field to set up some of those explosive plays down the field that Daniel Jones was able to hit in this game. I'm only smiling because your comment brought up something 
funny in my mind. So you said if the Giants are fortunate enough to play the Vikings again, which I, by the way, agree with. Apparently, we must have gotten like someone, uh, some Vikings fan must have got a hold of our Vikings Giants reaction, rapid reaction video on YouTube because it's our most commented video by far. It's now like 50 plus comments and 80% of them are just Vikings fans like ripping us in the comments. And it was so funny to read this morning. I don't know what happened. Some Vikings fan must have saw it somehow and shared it. And it's excellent. They're just destroying us because we must have been saying that a lot on that podcast. But I do feel that way. And so we'll see what happens as far as the hey, these people don't have the context of what the New York Giants have been right. all season. Exactly. Like, we're, let us have our moment in the sun where our offense actually looks pretty damn good through the passing game. Yeah. But without further ado, let's dive into the tape because there's actually finally a lot of offensive tape to talk about. It hasn't been much of the past two weeks. Um, it's not a lot of snaps, but this one was a really good offensive game, so it's going to be fun to break down. We start off with a bad drive, though. It was the first drive. It was a six-play, 24-yard drive with a punt. It had one really good pass play in it, um, which we'll get to, but it starts off here with just a play action at a single back here. They're facing cover six. The ball's the, the play's designed to get the ball out quick, and he... Hits the underneath to Bellinger, who's kind of like a chip release. Looks like he's fake chipping and releasing. No, it's just Saquon Barkley. It's not Bellinger, but it's oh, a, sorry. It was Barkley. Yeah. Under center play action. And it's a three-level read for the Giants where they release Daniel Bellinger, who's essentially the sniffer, into the flat. And then you have the number two wide receiver inside kind of run a deep post curl right at the numbers. And then another deep flag that bends inside, kind of like a Poco route from Richie James. And Daniel Jones was wise to check this football down because there's really nothing open. I felt like Minnesota covered this play up really well to uh, force a second and seven. Yep, we got a second and seven set up here for the Giants. Um, they're going to go with like an RPO type, uh, a zone run actually, zone read run with an RPO built in. Um, they actually decide to give the ball up here to Saquon Barkley and it's a four-yard gain. The Saquon, they, the Giants switch Saquon Barkley's path right at the end of the play. They hand the football off. I felt like the blocking was okay up front just to get four yards, but the linebackers kind of are in a stacked position and they're able to position right. themselves in the gaps because the offensive line wasn't able to climb. That's one positive that that's one of the major positives when you stack your linebackers. If you're watching on YouTube, what I mean by stack, you see how Eric Hendricks directly behind Dalvin Tomlinson, Jordan Hicks directly behind number 97. So now those linemen can't get a clean climb up to the second level and Saquon Barkley just doesn't have that much rushing room. So the four yards that Saquon Barkley was able to pick up was just because the New York Giants were able to kind of push those defensive linemen off the line of scrimmage. That's interesting, too. Maybe that's a, kind of an adjustment the Vikings made based on how the Giants' blocking scheme is and, and kind of some of the you know concepts the Giants like to use a lot in the run game. I'm curious to see if we'll see. You know, I'm curious to see if we'll see other teams do that. But here we have this third and three. Um, it's the double slant flat combination, which we've seen in the past. The Giants start to bring out. You see at the top of your screen, they're running two slants on the two-by-two two side. It's a two-by-two two on, the, on the top of your screen with the two receivers. And then... Barkley is running the flat to try to take away defenders. This is just a really, really good drive throw, I thought, by Daniel Jones. And again, this is my favorite area of the field that Daniel Jones throws into. It's that deep in range, about 15 yards just down the yards ish down the field in the middle of the field. I think he gets great drive on these throws whenever he whenever he throws them. Really, it's been that way since 2019. I think the ball placement on all these types of uh, in breaking, you know, intermediate routes is always on point. Like, look at where this ball lands and look at the drive on that thing. That's a heavy ball flat into the receiver, and the coverage is great. By the way, like this is not like. The easiest of throws when you see the covers look that good, but when a ball's thrown right on the numbers like it is, it's usually going to be a catch, even with our receivers. Yes, even with the New York Giants receivers, who I think are a little bit better than some people try to give them credit for. There's obviously no true number one here. This is also a good yeah. diagnosis and kind of what we were talking about at the top of the show from Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones' eyes goes right to the apex defender. 
right here to see if the apex defender is going to follow Richie James, sit in this throwing window, or match Saquon Barkley, who's releasing the flat. Once that defender goes in outside to match Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones believes that Darius Slayton is going to win the one-on-one matchup against a defender who is about six yards off, seven yards off of him. So all Darius Slayton needs to do is win inside. Darius Slayton does a good job doing that. Jones delivers the football right on time. I got to say this though, Dan, and I'm going to exit the YouTube for a second. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think some of Daniel Jones' best throws are when they are over the middle in that intermediate range. But I kind of think he's much better at throwing that ball when the receiver is like a yard or two, three yards out of their break. I think Daniel Jones kind of struggles throwing over the middle of the field when he has some deep over routes where there wasn't necessarily a break, but there's a guy coming from a wider position crossing the face. And it happened on the interception slightly behind. And it's just right. an observation I've had over the uh, over this season where I was like, Daniel Jones is slightly behind sometimes, but I can't necessarily pinpoint on why exactly that's the case because he's so accurate on those deep dig routes when they're just coming out of the break on those slants. But when the receiver has to run a while when he say he broke basically at the line of scrimmage and running more elongated route where the guy's running on the horizontal plane for for a extended period of time, I just feel like Daniel Jones doesn't lead that receiver in a in an optimal way. And it's not a huge glaring mistake, but I feel like some of the throws where he's a little bit behind and we're like, you know what, Jones, he should have let him a little bit more. It's usually in that in th- that type of a uh, way. And I think it happened twice in this game. And it's just something that I've kind of observed this entire season. Yeah, I think it's a great take. And I don't think it's limited to just the intermediate range. I think even on the shorter passes that are like around the line of scrimmage, those those types of drags, he also kind of the ball placement is not as good. I don't know what it is, what the reason for it would be when, but it's a good, you broke it down, right? It's when that receiver is kind of running along the horizontal plane for a while. Even remember the Green Bay game, he had that potential touchdown to Darius Slayton that he threw way behind him. Um, that that was wide open on the horizontal plane. So just something maybe he can work on. He'll look at the film. I'm sure him and Jay Tierney and all these guys will kind of look at that type of stuff in the off season. Yeah. I, I trust this uh, coaching staff and Daniel Jones himself to kind of rectify that issue this off season, but let's get back into the tape where we're going to have a first and 10 after this play. And it's going to be a play action, deep comeback that goes incomplete to Darius Slayton. Yeah. Coming off a really good, well-thrown ball. Uh, this is not Jones's best ball. He could throw this a little earlier before the receiver gets out of the break because he knows he's running this route and he knows he has the sideline, but he throws it after the receiver gets out of the break and then throws it a little too high as well. Um, I'd love to see this ball thrown a little bit more like inside back to the playing field, like closer to where the 40 is to allow the receiver to kind of break and get underneath it because that kind of gives you kind of a low margin for error when you make a throw like that. Because look, the, the, the defensive back and tri- like, Defensive back on the underneath route is not going to be able to jump that at that point. You have a lot of space, but um, he tries to throw it really right at the at where the receiver makes the break horizontally wise, if that's explained decently, and it ends up being a little high. And a nice route, too, by Darius Slayton to sell yes. that inside. He has Patrick Peterson's leverage. He has his ass turned towards the sideline, so he's basically inviting Darius Slayton to break inside. So it's more difficult for him to break outside. But Darius Slayton does a good job getting into the blind spot and breaking back to the outside. It's just the throw is not on target, forces a second and long. Yep, second and long situation. You're going to see a stack blitz from Minnesota as the Giants go to empty. One thing I also like about what Kafka's done these last two weeks, he's used more empty person, uh, empty formation, which is no running back in the backfield. And Jones does a, a pretty good job to evade the pass rush here, but Ultimately, this is just not an easy play to make for the Giants here. There's no one really open. The pass rush breaks down, and and Jones just uh, t- throws it out of bounds. 
I think the one one place that Jones could have possibly thrown the football, total armchair quarterback here. I'm not criticizing him, but you could see Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley. One of those two guys you could possibly consider being open. It's just hard to kind of say when you have someone in your face and you're right. running and you're on the move, which guy it would be. Because you see how 20 is sinking to kind of bait Daniel Jones to throw to Daniel Bellinger running the street, but that leaves Saquon Barkley open towards the sideline. I think that's what Daniel Jones is looking at right now if you're watching on YouTube. But I think this is a smart decision by Daniel Jones to eat the football, not throw to Daniel Bellinger because you don't know what 20 is going to do and he has somebody inside of him. So Daniel Bellinger doesn't have a ton of breathing room. It's at this moment where it's like throw the ball to Barkley, but then 24 puts himself right into that throwing window. So I think Daniel Jones probably does the best thing, just extending the play and then finding Saquon Barkley along the sidelines. And if we switch to the end zone angle and we can see what we mean by stacked blitz, look at Eric Kendricks. What is he? He's right behind that nose tackle. And he's going to go right into the A gap. And that's going to force John Feliciano to pick him up, which forces Glowinski to take 97. And then 91 fakes like fakes like he is coming. Evan Neal believes that Mark Glowinski is going to handle Dalvin Tomlinson. But then 91 drops off. Evan Neal doesn't end up blocking anybody. It's just a scheme two versus one, even though the one wasn't even coming. But Evan Neal has to respect it. And it's a nicely timed blitz by Ed Donatel. And Daniel Jones, to me, I think just does a really excellent job not getting sacked and at least giving the play a chance. Yep, and that'll set up a third and 10. We're going to see the Giants try to run a play they used from last week here out of a two-by-two. Two, um, you're going to have the the switch release with the double curl. The pass just ultimately gets knocked down at the line of scrimmage, and that ends this drive. Yeah, the Giants, they've been using this a lot in the last three weeks. They started, I think, back in Philly, and then it's a double curl or a double slant depending on the coverage and what to do here. They're going to curl, sit in space. And Daniel Jones, I'm trying to think if this pass was not batted at the line of scrimmage, the ball probably gets to Isaiah Hodgins because Hodgins is coming out of his break and Jones is firing right as Hodgins is turning. And Hodgins has space between all three of the defenders that are around him because one of them is paying attention to Darius, I mean, um, Richie James's route. So that probably would have been a first down if, if the ball was not knocked down at the line of scrimmage, but the Giants were forced to punt. Yep. And that'll set up their second drive which actually was another three and out. Uh, or this one wasn't a three and out. I'm sorry. But what actually was a three and out, they hadn't. It took them two drives to get their offense going. And this one could have potentially gone somewhere. But on the first play, Nick Gates was called for holding. And I really feel like watching that play. I don't know if we'll be able to get that up. Are you able to get that play up or is this after the hold? I don't have it right now. Okay, that's fine. We don't have to go over that. But there was potential for Jones to take a shot out of it. Um, but we're looking at the second first and 20 here. It's a three by one set. Um, and this is kind of an example of where you know, not what we want to see, unfortunately, from Evan Neal right now in pass protection here. He gets beat pretty bad here, loses the edge. Um, that kind of screws up the whole play. Yeah, Evan Neal, just they run right around him. And this is an issue that he's been having this season. And it's forcing the Giants into these really, really precarious second and long, third and long type right. situations when he can't protect his edge. You can see how he opens his hips. He doesn't stay square. And when you open your hips like this, and you're going up against somebody like a Daniil Hunter who can let Daniil Hunter maintains. He stays low, man, throughout this. And he's a big dude. And he's a long dude. And he's a powerful dude. And this is something that Evan Neal really needs to rectify at this point. I mean, it's not just the run blocking deficiencies and the, and the framing of the blocks, albeit this is a framing of the block issue. He doesn't cut the angle off. And when you give him a two-way go like this, and now you're scrambling and you're crisscrossing your feet, mm. you're just giving up your edge, just giving the defensive player a soft edge to run around. And you could see Evan Neal never has any kind of contact or establishes any any anything on Daniel Hunter. Daniel Jones is a sitting duck. But I got to say, 
give credit to Evan Neal for falling on that football because really? kept the Giants in the game there. Yeah, that could have lost them the game potentially or put them in a really precarious spot here. Um, did you want to show the sideline angle for that one too? You want to take a quick look at that just to see what was potentially there if Evan Neal hadn't blown his block. Let's see what potentially could have been available to Jones on this first and 20 here. He had to stick to yep. a three-by-one set, and you have Richie James just run a little quick stick route underneath a clear out from Darius Slayton. Yeah. And Jones first looks to the left, and this is kind of what we were talking about at the top of the show too. He looks to his left, and the, there's a choice route for Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley can either take this to the flat to the boundary – He's isolated against 33, which I believe is a deep at the back, or he can go over the middle of the field, kind of like a Texas route, something that we are, or a concept, an arrow route, something that we really want. I think Daniel Jones wanted to throw that, but Barkley kind of stutters before his break to, to set up the inside, to give himself inside leverage, and that just wasn't enough time for Jones to get rid of the football. And that'll set up a second and 25, really tough position to get out of for any offense, uh, not just the Giants here. I'm just going to run a simple stick route to Bellinger to pick up 12 and get them into a third and somewhat manageable here. Yeah, a really good rep from the end zone angle you might be able to see from Andrew Thomas here, who just had really phenomenal game. We'll talk more about it as we go through, Nick, but I feel like part of this was motivated by the Pro Bowl being re uh, released this week, and he did not make it, and I think he feels like he, des he deserves it, and I think he feels like that. Um, and This was one of the best games I saw on foam from Andrew Thomas all season, and that says a lot considering how dominant he's been all season. But, I mean, you're talking about pretty two pretty good edge rushers with Minnesota, and he's just essentially spotless. I know he gets credited for some of the sacks, like the Patrick Peterson uh, sack, but, like, that's really hard because there was a guy lined up over him on that play that bailed in coverage. We'll get to it later. But Peterson's, like, blitzing from the edge as a corner and wide, and he has just, like, a really good end, edge bend on that play. Crazy for a corner. So I felt like it was a mostly spotless game for Thomas. Yeah, Thomas is excellent. Look at this. Look how, look at how much determination and confidence are in his feet. And once he absorbs this contact, because Zedarius Smith gets both his hands inside, tries to bull rush. Just look at, pause it real quick, roll back, roll back, roll back. I just want to show something that's interesting, I thought. Let's run, 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 stop. Just look at the difference between Andrew Thomas right now and Evan Neal. Look how top-heavy Evan Neal is, and look at Andrew Thomas. Yeah, and this is actually a pretty good rep from actually it's a really good rep. That's a good rep from Evan Neal too. Yeah, it's a very good rep from Evan Neal. He anchors down against Daniel Hunter. That's a really good rep from both the tackles. This is what we're hoping for as Giants fans and people who cover the Giants that both these guys will develop into this type of technique consistently. Andrew Thomas is already there. Evan Neal still has a little bit of a ways I to go. I still think it looks different with Neal versus Thomas. And maybe no, that's just does. who Neal no, no. is. No, it does, man. Look, look, look at the footwork between the two. And I feel like Evan Neal's footwork isn't even too bad here. But Andrew Thomas is just elite with yeah. how just he covers space, how he stays square, how he absorbs contact, and then how he just shoots his hands up, and then how he anchors down. Look how he just anchors down and just stops the rush. Yeah. Zedaria Smith is trying to push the inside shoulder of Andrew Thomas and win inside. There's, there's nothing there. There's no dice. You're not getting inside of Andrew Thomas and winning right. the half-man relationship against this guy because he has vice grips attached to his arms, and he really trusts his technique. He frames his blocks well, and his feet are just so freaking quick, and he's so damn powerful and sturdy. It's something that I love because, man, in 2020, we were not overly optimistic about Andrew Thomas just collectively as a fan base I'm speaking of because he struggled. And, man, to see his development over the last couple of years, it's been, it's been sensational, man. It really has. And that sets up a third and 13. This one, the Giants are going to miss. It's an interesting, the Vikings run a little twist up front. It's not really picked up well by the Giants, but it kind of works out. Um, you'll see kind of 
Neil struggles to recognize it, um, but eventually it kind of works out. They actually have an opportunity here to convert this third and 13 on an inbreaker over the middle to Slayton, but Jones throws it a little bit too high and out of uh, you know target range for Slayton. Yeah, he does. I'm wondering if, if Jones expected him to run a different type of route. It could be, or just could be the fact that Evan Neal kind of lost his rep right. on the twist, which we'll watch right here. I like, you know, I like this empty with the double wing back. This is something the Giants have been using the last couple of weeks as well. You have both yeah. Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley as wing backs, and they just help the protection. They help the tackles out. They chip. But you can see as Bellinger goes to chip, Daniel Hunter, Daniel Hunter slants it to the B gap at 90, goes around, and it looks like it's man blocking where Mark Lewinsky is going to follow 90, and Evan Neal is going to take that guy who's uh, going inside. And Evan Neal just just doesn't make any contact. I'm wondering if he was indecisive on if he was supposed to take 90, who was the looper coming from the original three technique position. But Evan Neal just needs to get his hands on and, and right. sustain the block. And just for whatever reason, it's been so inconsistent. Look at the point of contact too. He's so high. So look, high look at his, it, like his feet are almost in front of him at the point of contact. Like, look, his knees are like locked out. Like there's really no bend or anything like that. And you look at Andrew Thomas on the other side. And again, I don't want to compare the two, but he handles. And again, he's handling a, a different type of assignment. He's just taking that guard. You can see how on the right side, the protection looks like it could be big on big. It could be man. That's at least how Mark Lewinsky blocks it up. And maybe that threw Evan Neal off because it wasn't. But on the left side, they pass off the twist. And Evan right. Neal takes that initial guy, which makes more sense because the space is a little bit more limited there and Nick Gates is able to kind of smoothly transition him right to Andrew Thomas. Yep. But after that uh missed throw, we we get a punt here. That's gonna set up the next Giants drive, their third drive of the game where they finally got some momentum going on offense. They didn't take the sack fumble to move them into first and thirty after the holding, you know, whatever it was, second and twenty five. Now they can get it moving. And unfortunately on an early and you see this throughout the game because on their on both of the Giants turnovers, this is the frustrating part for me, man. Like just shows you the little dip, like um, kind of uh, what's it called? The little nuance of the game on both of the Giants turnovers in this game, the interception and the fumble, Nick, they came on first down plays. It wasn't like a third and long or something. It was first and 10. So, you know, both times in scoring range at minimum, that's six points off the board, but potential for even more uh, would have decided the game in the Giants favor. Just a crazy way to lose. This was their definitely their closest loss, in my opinion, of the entire season based on those two facts. Don't tell the Vikings fans that they won't like that. Not at all. <laughs> they're watching this. They're going to crush us. But you know, we'll start this drive. Uh, I think Nick just rolled it through. Twenty-one personnel. Our first look at that in this game. That means two backs. Uh, so you get Brita and Barkley, which Nick and I have been calling for more of. It's Brightwell this time, but oh, it is yeah. Brightwell this time, right? It's Brightwell this time. Um, you get Brita and Brightwell, which again, twenty-one is something we're calling more for them. They're trying to run split zone here. Um, but, and it's Barkley, not breed, I should say in the orbit motion, they're trying to run split split zone here, but it doesn't really work. You can kind of see 94, the ex giant Dalvin Tomlinson just absolutely dominate Mark Lewinsky on this rep. I mean, look at this rep. This is not a good one for Mark Lewinsky. The, the Mark Lewinsky thing, it's, it's pretty sad how bad he's been, unfortunately for the giants. Yeah, he has not been good. And Dalvin Tomlinson's aligned in a two wide position. So he has leverage towards the play side, but if Mark Lewinsky is able to kind of get in front of him and scoop him up. I think this play could have been really, really nice for the Giants because say Mark Lewinsky executes the assignment, blocks Dalvin Tomlinson up. You have Feliciano up on Jordan Hicks. Harrison Phillips is handled by, I think that's Ben Bredesen at this point. 
And then Evan Neal would have probably got his hips around 33, who looked like he was paying attention to the, to the uh, fake movement from Saquon Barkley. So this would have been blocked up really well, Dan, if Dalvin Tomlinson was eliminated, but that's just not the way it works. You have to execute all your assignments. Glowinski kind of gets bitched here by one of my favorite former Giants, Dalvin Tomlinson, who had a pretty solid game. And they had a few of those that you just described, like really close calls in the run game where if just one more assignment was executed by the Giants offensive lineman, it would have been a huge hole or a huge gain. You'll see one with Neil later in this game that I put on Twitter. It's just that's kind of been the story of the Giants run game this season for a lot of, for a large chunk of it. It's just well, if one more assignment's executed right, it could be good, um, but it's not. <laughs> so we get the second 11 here back in 21 um, this time, like you talked about in the pre portion of this podcast the Giants are just going to kind of take advantage of you know quick game here it's a seven yard pass to Zaya Hodgins off the slant flat slant flat is a great quick game combo Giants have been running it a lot you see Barkley go into the flat Hodgins run the slant and they get themselves in third and four yeah so Brita is the is in the backfield he goes to the flat Jones is going to read 58 matches Brita he's going to throw the slant once the defenders out of the throwing window but if you look at the bottom of the screen the three wide receiver if you want to call him that, uh, part of the Giants offense. Saquon Barkley is the number three receiver here. He's just going to run to the flat with two stalk blockers in front of him. And this is something that the Giants have been running to the uh, field side. I think they run it a couple times in this game. It's not always with Saquon Barkley, but it's just an easy way to get the football into your talented playmaker's hands with two blockers in front of him. Giants have the, the advantage here. There's three Giants down at the bottom of the screen, and only two Minnesota Vikings defenders. It's just Daniel Jones opted to take the slant. And if you look at Patrick Peterson, he's off, but Patrick Peterson's playing inside. Look at where they're aligned. He's much closer to the bottom of the three than Isaiah Hodgins would be to the bottom of the two. But still, Isaiah Hodgins takes a really good angle to just give Daniel Jones enough space to fit this football in. And good job by Jones throwing this low. I'm telling you, man, Isaiah Hodgins, see, this kid can play football, dude. Dude, he caught, he catches literally everything around him. His body controls great. You're about to see his separation is 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 well underrated. Like you're about to see this route that's back to Hodgins again on a third and four. He goes on the double slant and look at the release he gets. Look at the separation he creates um, with that outside step against the corner at the bottom of the screen. Who's you know impressive man there. And then everything thrown around him, he catches. This one's led into a D back. He takes a big hit up high that should have been flagged. Catches it anyway. The last one thrown really low at his feet. Catches it anyway. His catch radius is great. His hands are even better. Um, just everything. There's a lot. Literally, the only thing not to like about him is is his speed. Um, and I think it's even a little bit better than it. Than it's this. He's deceptively fast too. I think so as well. I do. And like catches like this, this is tough, man. This is a tough catch through contact. Yes. Not only is twenty draped all over him, but a linebacker Jordan Hicks gives him a nice shot after he catches his football to try to jar it loose, and Hodgins holds onto it. So. Really, really just tough play. And this is something that Hodgins really has been doing since he arrived here in New York, Dan. And yeah. This isn't like, I think, a blip. I think this is who he is. And this is somebody who can contribute to a winning football team. And this is him doing it, by the way, with no offseason, with no training camp, just picking up the system. And everyone's like, oh, he played in Buffalo. It's not the same system. You can obviously see Mike Kafka is doing things a lot differently than uh, Brian Dable did, or than, you know, Brian Dable did last year with Hodgins. And despite all that, he's been able to be productive. What's one thing that he's been? He's been smart, he's been tough, and he's been dependable. And that's mm -hmm. kind of their three core traits. And I think even Daniel Jones said that in an interview last week when asked about Hodgins because he used those exact terms, which I thought was interesting because I feel like it's been hammered home in all these meetings with Dable and the coaches. staff. like, remember, smart, tough, dependable. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I like having like a mantra and things like that. And it's interesting, especially if you can get them all to buy in. So something to think about. And once again, a third play in a row 
runs through Hodgins here. When you start to see that type of thing happen with a receiver, right? Like he can, I don't want to say take over a game, but in a lot of ways he took over in this first half. He had like 50 plus yards in the first half alone and three straight plays go to him. That's a good sign, right? That's a sign like, and he, if they're after, even after this play, he gets up and he gets in Peterson's face because he's like, dude, you can't guard me type of thing. And three plays in a row, he wasn't able to guard him. He won his route three plays in a row. And this one is just, you know, nothing crazy. It's just a 14-yard dig route, but he does a great job at the top of his break. And you're going to show this, Nick, to freeze up Peterson. And that gets him that separation that he needs to make the tough catch on the dig. Yeah, Dan. And this is uh, interesting. I want to bring up another thing about this play that we were just seeing on the end zone angle, but just Look how Isaiah Hodge is able to make this catch. Patrick Peterson is draped all over him. Another contested catch of three defenders bearing down on him. You're trying to just pick up another first down. As you said, man, the offense is running through him. But if you look at the end zone angle, the Giants are trying to sell the play action because it's play action from under center. So Ben Bredesen is going to pull, and then he's responsible for whatever Zadarius Smith ends up doing. And I thought Ben Bredesen is able to locate Zadarius Smith along with Saquon Barkley, to allow Daniel Jones to get rid of this football. I just thought this was a low-key athletic play from Bredesen. You can kind of see how he explodes out of his stance and is able to get to Zadarius Smith so the play-action element could really be sold. You can see how the linebackers are all thinking a run's coming. Jordan Hicks is looking, looking, and now he realizes it's a pass. He's not in position to get his hands into the throwing window. And it's a great ball by Daniel Jones. He drives it. He puts it in the right spot. I feel like, honestly, man, you start to see it in this game with this throw and then the, and then you're going to start to see it in other spots throughout the game. Going to this more pass-heavy approach is actually allowing Daniel Jones to be more confident, giving him more reps, allowing him to uh, you know, do things differently and see things differently. And we'll see if that plays out in all the matchups. I know this was an easy Vikings matchup, but we'll set up this next first and 10 here. This was a good example of a play that I think was interesting to look at based on what you said earlier, Nick. Like, are they coaching him to look low to high on a lot of these plays? Because you'll see on this play, if you're looking at the, if you're watching on YouTube, at the bottom of the screen, Darius Slayton has a filthy, and I mean filthy, release off the line of scrimmage. He runs an incredible route, creates a ton of vertical separation. The ball ideally should be thrown vertically to Slayton here, right? When you see a receiver create that much separation, it's basically a wide open walk in TD if you if you just lead him and use the sideline. But if what you're saying is true, and I think it is right? Maybe this was a route adjustment by Darius Slayton based on what he saw. And maybe Jones is just reading low to high. And when he doesn't like what he sees low and the pass rush is coming, his next best step, which he's been coached to all year, is to just take the run and take the rushing yards. I think you're 100% accurate with what you just said. I mean, look at this is a slow go route. Like Daniel Jones should know that this is going to be a slant and go. I'm imagining at least, right? right? Now, I don't know if there's a choice built into it. I'm imagining he knows that. Patrick Peterson's impressed. He's all up on Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton does a good job giving himself a little bit of breathing room by eating into Patrick Peterson's leverage, and then he goes inside to get Patrick Peterson to do the speed turn, and then he just explodes back up. And there's a lot of space right now for Daniel Jones to deliver this football to Darius Slayton with two defenders who are inside the numbers and Darius Slayton between the numbers and the sideline bending outside. But it doesn't even look like Daniel Jones is looking in that direction. Now, if we watch Daniel Jones's eyes... Scandals, he's not. No. But if we watch Daniel Jones' eyes, to me, it looks like he peers to his right initially where Darius Slayton is, but I think he's reading Saquon Barkley and Jordan Hicks to see if Jordan Hicks has the the ability to cover Saquon Barkley. And at this moment, he might be looking, and I wish we could flip it and do a side-by-side, but we can't. He might be looking at Patrick Peterson and seeing Patrick Peterson kind of over the top of Darius Slayton and not realizing that Patrick Peterson's about to go into the speed turn. Because then he comes off of it, looks at the safety, and I think at this point is when Darius Slayton is probably winning and has all that leverage, but Daniel Jones already looked off to see what Daniel Bellinger was doing and to see what the other player is doing. And then he ends up bailing. So I don't even think uh, Jones was aware of the fact that 
Darius Slayton won so cleanly against Patrick Peterson. Yeah, and that and that's not you know that that's going to happen sometimes on tape. You're going to yeah. see examples of that. But I will say this, man. For all there's been these annoying narrative. I find them very annoying. I think part of it is like just people harping way too much on the drop percentage. Look, Darius Slayton doesn't have great hands. I get it, but I don't think everyone realizes what kind of impact his ability to create both vertical and horizontal separation on a consistent basis has on the way defenses can play you, has on the way that the rest of your entire offense operates. I know some people recognize it, and I know you do, Nick, but there's a lot of people who are down on slate, and I'm just like, dude, if you don't have this guy on the field right now, and I love Isaiah Hodgins, I really do, but if you don't have the guy like Slayton creating that kind of vertical and horizontal separation, we're going to see multiple routes throughout this game. It's not just that one where he has steps on the defender, and he's creating a lot of vertical separation. Then we're going to see a route later in the game, the, 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 the game-winning two-minute drill drive, where his speed and his ability to create after the catch is unique in that role. Like it's a 36 yard gain that sets up Barkley touchdown to tie the game or to give them a chance to tie the game in two point version. No other receiver on the Giants is doing that. Maybe they can claim one in the draft, but why not have more than one going into next year? We don't know Wandell Robinson's status. We don't even know if he really is that guy anyway, to be honest. Like, I like Wandell, but I don't know if he has the same kind of juice as Darius Slayton. I think Slayton's juice is incredibly underrated. So why not add more? Like, I really want them to try to re-sign both Hodgins and Slayton and go in and you can still draft a receiver or sign one or trade for one. I don't care. More the better. The more speed and separation possibility, the better this offense will be. So I think he's incre- he'll be in my mix for the unheralded by far at the end of the game because he has like at least two more routes on film in this game, the one you're watching included, where he just creates a ton of separation. Yeah, he's been excellent with these little double moves, as has Isaiah Hodgins, like those players, again, they're not number one wide receivers. It's not lost no. on us, but they they deserve to be on an NFL roster and they can have their role on any NFL roster. Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins are both acting as kind of one A and one B wide receivers. That's not necessarily the role, but guess what? They're actually kind of productive in their role. We've right. seen, although Daniel Jones might have the mo- might not have the most prolific passing yards out of all the quarterbacks in the league, we have seen plays where Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins have won with double moves. They're if Daniel Jones had a little bit more time, maybe he would have been able to deliver the football to them. So it, it, I know that's uh, it's looking at things and, it, and you don't have all day to throw the football. I, I get that. But I definitely believe that there are places in the NFL and on the Giants for next year, as you said, for both of these guys. And, and I don't think it would make this wide receiver room bad. I do think you need to add a number one somehow, though, because that's... Yeah. That's going to be imperative. And roster building is a long-term thing. They may not have an opportunity to add a, a one in this specific offseason. More the reason why they should try to bring back all the talent they possibly have at receiver. And so I think we've made our stance clear. We'll talk more about it in the offseason. But the Big Lavander podcast will surely be in the camp of re-signing both Hodgins and Slayton. Well, Slayton is a little different because it just depends. Like if someone wants to come out and Christian Kirk him or Zay Jones him and give him that kind of insane contract, we're probably not going to be able to re-sign him based on the Barkley, the Jones, the Dexter, and everything else. But as long as he can kind of wait around in free agency and not and kind of play it smart and hopefully there's not a lot, a lot of interest in Slayton because of the, the narrative, you know, around him about the drop percentage and all that stuff. And then they can get him kind of cheap. We'll see what happens. But what you're seeing is after that first down rush here, the fumble here from Bellinger. This is one of my favorite play calls in the entire game. It gets Bellinger lined up as a fullback or an H-back, whatever you want to call it, one-on-one against a linebacker and I think this is actually a really good out by Daniel Bellinger I think he wastes zero space getting out of his break no wasted movement and creates a lot of separation here makes the catch unfortunately it's just a really good play on the ball and you could see on the bottom of the screen something the Giants run all the time from the two receivers on the bottom of the screen and that's the slot wheel 
It's both vertically oriented routes to clear out space for Bellinger. This is the design you want, right? Those bottom two routes on the bottom of your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, clearing out the space and then Bellinger creating separation one-on-one matchup against the linebacker. That's going to win, I think, almost every time the Giants use it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet, Win, download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called liquid death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named liquid death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it. So I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, 
go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Yeah, it's under center offset eye too. So this isn't something that we've seen a ton this year. Like this is kind of a new formation and I'm hoping that Mike Kafka uses it from now till the end of the season because Daniel Bellinger, everyone thinks he's blocking. This is play action. Daniel Jones sells it very well. Watch the linebackers, especially watch the linebacker towards the bottom of the screen. The one who's not covering, you know, the one who's not in coverage. He's just looking at Saquon Barkley and what does he do? He bites up. And then you have the other linebacker who is not in position to cover Daniel Bellinger breaking towards Jordan Hicks's side, who is biting up towards Saquon Barkley because of the play action. Now Daniel Bellinger has leverage with no one underneath. This is a very, very well executed play and a very, I, I feel like just a really good play design and call from Mike Kafka. Again, I think it's one of my favorite in this game. I'm hoping that they use Daniel Bellinger, Chris Myrick, Nick Bennett, whatever tight end in this manner. And then sometimes you can even run out of the eye formation in the offset eye to, to really just put the defense into a stressful spot. Add that yep. wrinkle to your offense. Yeah, I love it, Nick. So unfortunately, that drive ends in a fumble in scoring range on a first down, which is just tough because you know you're at worst getting three out of that. Probably, maybe not probably, but chance for more. Whatever. Now Giants are down 10 nothing in this game at this point, and it's their fourth drive. It's a 10-play, 69-yard touchdown drive. But it starts off here with an RPO rip on a slant to Richie James. I like how quick Daniel Jones gets the ball out of his hand on this RPO. I like the lack of wasted motion kind of transferring the football. And I like the velocity he's able to get despite a, a, a defensive end bearing down on him, ready to make a hit, free rusher kind of thing. Uh, just gets around Evan Neal here. Um, and there's really not a great rep from Evan Neal, if we're going to be honest about it. Um, but I just think he does a good job despite it ripping this ball in here to James. Yeah, this is a great little play from Daniel Jones. Evan Neal, look, it's an RPO. He doesn't know if it's a runner pass, but he has to protect Daniel Jones from this type of play. And Zadari Smith really just gets an excellent jump off the line, and Evan Neal just can't True. get up the arc to match him. And that sets up another first and 10 here. That was a 12-yard game. They're going to motion Barkley out as the fast three here to the field side. And what do we like to see, or what have we seen a lot of now? When this is the case, they want to get the ball to Barkley. It's a good way to get your best player the ball in space with potential blockers in front of him. This isn't blocked perfectly. I feel like none of these yet have been blocked like amazing where he's at like insane amount of space here, but here he picks up seven. You can just see the leverage. Look, 54 Eric Kendricks is responsible for Saquon Barkley at the snap. Daniel Jones sees that and Saquon Barkley has so much space from the numbers to the outside with two blockers in front of him and Barkley picks up seven yards to set up a second and three. And on the second and three, they're going to run split zone. You're going to see a really nice combo block up front with Ben Bredesen and John Feliciano. I put this on Twitter because I just really like the technique from Bredesen and how he gets gets that player. The you know look at the look at where he starts the snap and where he ends it, and then kind of still does a good job, but not fully, but kind of turning that defender that he has to reach back inside to create a little bit of space there for Barkley to get through. And this ends up being a seven yard gain. It's a very good block by both Feliciano and Bredesen because watch how Feliciano transfers this player to Ben Bredesen. He engages him and watch Feliciano's outside arm. He has like the midline and looks like it could be even the face mask. If we're going to be honest, I can't really tell. Yeah, I think that is a face mask, but he shoves him right back to Bredesen and that allows Bredesen to swivel his hips around and then just position himself right in front of the player. Saquon Barkley's talented enough to get skinny and slip through this hole. Very nice combo block on the nose tackle by the center end guard Ben Bredesen. Yep. And that's going to set up a first and 10. 
and they're going to run. They're going to run the ball with Saquon Barkley out of the shotgun here. Jones flips him to the other side. It's a three-yard gain. Could have been a lot less though, but uh, Barkley put on some nice moves here to turn this from a negative into a positive. Three-yard gain, a very impressive three-yard gain, Dan. Right. Because really bad by Evan Neal again. It, it looks like Zadarius Smith notices what's going on. He sees that 26 is going into the mesh point and he has 44 there to kind of play contain if it is going to be his own read, even though Daniel Jones would go the other way if he were to be his own read player. So I guess that's a little bit irrelevant, but watch how he just positions himself right in the Barkley. Look at Barkley when he jukes. He has no momentum going to his left and he puts that foot in the ground. Look how low he is. He's so damn low to the ground, Dan. And then he just explodes. I'll bring it back up. He just explodes off that foot and he's able to then collect himself and juke out another player. It's wildly impressive. One, yep. two, two, gets bad. back outside and then ends up getting rallied and tackled. But he makes two guys look kind of silly on this play. Yeah, it's a really good rep from Saquon Barkley to set up a second and seven, keep them, you know, second and manageable. They're going to run one of their favorite concepts here, post wheel, but they're also going to have a running back to the flat. Um, and you're going to see him matched up against the linebacker here. And Jones is going to take that to Barkley. This is one of the balls that, you know, again, on a horizontal plane, breaking to the outside. I wish this ball was thrown a little better from Jones. This is probably one of my least favorite throws from Jones the entire game. It's low and away, and Barkley has to dip down to get it. If this ball's thrown with a lot more zip and to the outside shoulder, Barkley may have a chance to beat that linebacker. The linebacker still may be able to get his feet anyway, but at least give him a chance there. But uh, either way, it's a catch. He rolls to the first down. Yeah, and that sets up a... Well, it's first and 10. It puts first us in a and first and 10 situation where the Giants are going to see a looks like a cover two type of defense. And Daniel Jones picks up 14 yards with his legs from an under center play action pass. Yeah. And I thought this was a good do- job by Jones because I didn't think there was anywhere he should have gone with the ball. Like you could talk about potentially the honey hole on the bottom of the screen if you're watching on YouTube with Hodgins, but that's a really tough throw to make. And I'm glad he didn't make that because I think it could have been intercepted potentially or it just might have been tough to complete. Instead, it's there's a wide open, you know, lane for him in the running game. So just take it here. Um, and, and I like the movie he makes too. watch him on the run here because he's pretty good at this. Like he has that, you know, we all know he had that really good three cone. This is he sets up like he's going vertical and then he beats that linebacker, whoever that is, the D back in space there. That's pretty, pretty nifty move by him in space. Like he looks like he's just running to a spot there vertically, but the whole time he's kind of setting up that little juke cutback. Is Eric Kendricks, the linebacker right here. You can see he has, he, when he turns the jets on, he is, he's just fast. And this is another thing. The, the Vikings have been just rushing wide. Like, well, Zadarius Smith, they're all just rushing wide. You can see how the guards, they're rushing wide. Nobody is staying in the center. And then the linebackers are all matching onto their, their coverage responsibilities. This is an obvious Daniel Jones just take it and run situation. Nobody's accounting for him. You just can't do this against the Giants offense because arguably, other than Saquon Barkley, the most dangerous threat is Daniel Jones with the football in his hands. Correct. And that's a first down. It's a 14-yard run. It sets up this first and 10 with Matt Breida inside zone giants don't run a ton of but they did here and they pick up six yards yep just a six yard run by matt Breida. believe this is inside zone duo and inside zone they're they're, they can be indistinguishable sometimes but Breida ends up getting six yards good block by glowinski who helps feliciano make the initial block climbs to the second level makes contact and then matt Breida is able to get a nice chunk gain on the ground 
Bradison looks pretty good on this too. I've seen some times in the season where that in that spot, the left guard or whoever it was kind of loses that. And that guy creates a penetration and turns into a negative. It didn't on that play. They go back to either split, uh, split zone or duo here um, on the second and four. And this time it's Barkley again, pretty solid job blocking by the giants. And Barkley makes a nice cutback at the end to get vertical and pick up four and the first down four and the first down four Saquon Barkley, just solid blocks up front. Like, they're creating some rushing space. And if you look to the side where the Giants are going to run, it's the weak side. And what do you have over there on the weak side? You just have a two-eye technique and then a wide defender and then the linebacker. So you have kind of a favorable run block if you can set that combo and then reach the linebacker. Now you have 44 coming down in the alley, and that's exactly what happens. 44 comes down in the alley. He's able to make the tackle. But the Giants on the backside, they're not allowing these backside pursuit defenders to come really and make any kind of tackle. You have the um the combo block guys end up helping once 44 positions himself to contain. But if 44 took a worse angle, Saquon Barkley might have been able to bounce that outside, which would have been pretty nice for the Giants. But obviously, 44 just kind of uh, clamped down and executed his run fit in a timely manner. Sets up a first and 10 here. This one, when I saw the broadcast, I really liked it here. because I was like, nice job, DJ. He, he read this pre-snap. And threw it to the bubble. Unfortunately, I think he, I think it was kind of a nice trick here from the Vikings. It, they made it look like this was going to be the the best option here to throw the bubble here. But ultimately, they then rotate that safety down. So I don't even know if, or maybe he just adjusted to the throw late because it looks like he does take a step left toward the line of scrimmage and then comes back to it. But ultimately, ends up going for two yards. If you look at the defense, this is a telltale sign that the defense is going to be blitzing because you have a cornerback who's kind of leaning inside a little bit. The apex defender over Richie James on the two receiver side with two guys in the backfield for Daniel Jones. And then you have the safety about six, seven yards off the ass of the apex defender. So usually that defender is going to blitz and you can see how the safety stepping closer to the line of scrimmage. I think Jones thought that the defender, the apex defender, the guy directly over the top of Richie James was blitzing, but you can see how he ends up fading away doesn't blitz. The safety just rotates towards the middle of the field. And Jones thought, I think he was throwing hot at that moment, but he wasn't. And Richie James is tackled for a small game. Sets up a second and seven. This is the touchdown to Isaiah Hodgins. This is a great play by Daniel Jones to step up into the pocket, the patience, the pocket manipulation, the pocket feel, and obviously also by Hodgins to kind of find that little soft spot. And I thought Jones's eyes were great on this play. I thought the ball placement was great. He has to throw it kind of over and around that defender who's coming up to stop him in the run game. And look at it. It looks very pretty when you see it break down like that on film. You'll see it now from the end zone angle. If you're watching on YouTube, um, just a great job by Jones here and by Hodgins. Another under center play action. And what do Minnesota Vikings do? They go wide on Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas. And both of them are able to get around the tackles, but that just allows Daniel Jones to step up in the pocket because there's no one there to contain him. And then he's able to find the space and flow to his right, which draws Eric Kendricks away from Isaiah right. Hodgins and allows Isaiah Hodgins just to run into space. And Kendricks might've gotten a piece of this. It was very close. I think, I think it just goes just over his hand. And Hodgins secures it for the touchdown. It's a very good play by both Hodgins. Roll, and roll Daniel this Jones. back real quick, Nick. Yeah. Oh, you were just at the point I want to get to. Let's drop it back to the point he hits the top of his drop back and then pause there. There's been so many times in the past where I've seen Jones in these spots. This is one of the areas I think Jones has most improved his game under Dable, Kafka, and Tierney in year one. It's the pocket presence, pocket feel. There's been times I've seen him kind of hit the backdrop when he has that edge pressure in the past and kind of feel like, oh, get a little jittery, kind of stay in his spot. This time he knows, like he's been taught to kind of be, be patient with it. You don't have to jitter in, but 
step up, step into that lane and at least threaten like you're going to run. And when you are coaching a quarterback like the Giants have so often at the beginning of the season to take that lane when it's available to you and run the ball on a scramble, and then you put a lot of those on film like they did early in the season, you're going to have what Nick just said. You're going to have situations where Kendricks sees it and has to flow toward Jones because he knows Jones is the type of guy who will step up and run that. And what does that do? It opens up the pass lane like Nick did a great job breaking down for Hodgins. This play is made because Jones is patient with his pocket presence here, steps up, but also does it in kind of a controlled way here instead of just like a jittery, scrambly way, and then has the threat to run because that's who he is and he's put it on tape which opens up that throwing lane for Hodgins. This is really good stuff. Yeah, it's very encouraging, too. Daniel Jones, his his ability to understand what's going on around him, just his overall spatial awareness, it has improved in each season. And I think you're right. Under Kafka and Dable, you can even see it more because I don't remember him making a lot of plays like this right. going back to Jason Garrett's offense. Obviously, different offenses and everything, but that threat of Daniel Jones's legs it's real. Defenses have to be aware of it. And this isn't the only time Daniel Jones has scored a touchdown where he was able to roll out, which drew a defender who was in coverage initially towards him. And then he just put the football over their head. It's a big part of this offense in terms of their success passing the football in the red zone. And you could see it right here to Hodgins. Yep. You nailed it. Okay. So that's a touchdown. We'll go into the fifth drive here. Next, it's a seven play 47 yard drive that actually ended in a punt. This drive had a lot of promise early on. But as you'll see, a sack derails it. That's kind of been the, the, the story for most offense in the NFL. You can't really have those plays. That's why, you know, at times the Giants didn't want to throw the ball, I think, because they didn't feel confidence in their pass blocking to do anything but take sacks. But it starts with a six-yard duo run here. Barkley does a good job here getting into the hole, getting vertical, and creating six out of this. You can see how Saquon, this is what we're talking about when we say running backs press the line of scrimmage. Watch how Saquon presses the line of scrimmage towards the A-gap where 76 is and how that draws 54 into it. And now he just goes right into the B-gap. Right. And now 54 is eliminated from the play and that forces that safety to come up. And the safety does a really good job kind of coming up and filling and making that tackle on Saquon Barkley. But this is advanced running and winning the cat and mouse game that Saquon Barkley won against a very, very good and underrated linebacker in Eric Kendricks. And that'll set up a second and four. And I love that the Giants are taking a shot on second and four. We've seen a lot of these second and short situations this season be designed just to get the first down, usually shorter than four yards. This was four, so maybe that played a role in it. But they're in the gun. They're in, what, 11 personnel with a tight end detached from the formation, and they run the double move at the top of the screen with Isaiah Hodgins. And like Nick talked about earlier, Isaiah Hodgins it runs a really good double move. He sells that inside stem really well, which keep, which kind of freezes the corner, creates that separation. Jones, despite having a free blitzer come down on him, stands tall in the pocket. What did we talk about last week against Washington? Great example of Jones recently, you know, doing what we saw a lot in 2019, standing tall, delivering the football anyway, knowing he's going to take a hit, puts the ball right over, fully outstretched hands for Hodgins. It's a great throw under pressure. It's a great catch from Hodgins. It's great offensive football in the passing game from the Giants, which we haven't, you know, and it's a shot play. It's an explosive play. It's everything you want in the pass game. It's everything you want in the pass game. And I also just love the route concept, too. So you have the double move, which totally fools Patrick Peterson's very smooth. Well done. You can see how Isaiah Hodgins throttles down, sinks his hips, and then he just turns his entire body, his head, takes a hard step inside. Patrick Peterson totally bites. And now Isaiah Hodgins has tons of space on Peterson. But watch how Daniel Bellinger holds the safety in place. Because Daniel Jones, I don't think he knows a blitz is coming at the snap. But the apex defender to the bottom of the screen, the field side, he ends up coming. So you have a five-man pressure package, and it looks like man coverage across the board with one safety high. But Daniel Bellinger releases outside, 
And I feel like you can see how the safety's watching him, watching him, watching him. And it's not until right now where I think as 22 Harrison Smith is watching Daniel Bellinger and seeing Daniel Jones open to his left that he realizes that Isaiah Hodgins might have some leverage against Patrick Peterson. And that just gives Isaiah Hodgins so much time. And Harrison Smith isn't even in position to to make a play on the football. So I think even Daniel Bellinger going to the outside of this cornerback might have just froze Harrison Smith for a second. Yeah, and that's all there needed to all you needed to freeze him for there to create that separation. One of the best pass plays of the season for the Giants here sets up a first and ten here, and we'll go back to the shotgun with a run duo up front. And I think this was a really fun one for me to watch on tape because I just love focusing on the left side here with the combo block with, with Ben Bredesen at left guard and. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. This is how it should be done in the run game. Yes, these these two have uh, some cohesiveness, it seems like, together whenever they're blocking. You can see how they just get vertical, right? They're driving this defensive player off the ball vertically, displacing him up to the linebacker. And this is a well-blocked-up run. And what did they get, seven yards off seven this yards. one? Yeah. And hard-fought seven yards? Yep. Hard-fought seven yards for Saquon Barkley, who puts his foot in the ground, able to kind of dip around 97. Andrew Thomas picks up Eric Kendricks and then just drives Eric Kendricks to the ground as as a bunch of Vikings make the tackle. And that sets up a second and three situation where the Vikings are going to show a light box. The Giants are going to run into this light box here. Um, but I believe this was the one that got called for a holding on Feliciano. Yeah, this is you can see the laundry ends up hitting the ground. I'm not sure why this penalty is is included because it is accepted. And uh, this this play is nullified, but still a really nice reactive play from Saquon Barkley jumping over Daniil Hunter and, and making guys miss in space. And then there was a second and eight where Patrick Peterson was called for a defensive pass interference, which was one. Um, so that sets up this next play, which is a first and 10 situation. This is the sack that derails the entire drive here. This was a play I was talking about earlier. Man, Nick, I put this on Twitter. I don't know if I've ever watched a cornerback rep like this as a pass rusher. Like, look at how he bends the edge there, Patrick Peterson. How old is Patrick Peterson? He's in his 30s. That's like, a, that looks like a, like almost like a, what's his name? The dude from Oklahoma coming out of the draft this year. What was that dude? Uh, the second rounder. You're and talking about, um, he went to look. He, he went playing, to Denver, right? He went to Denver. Uh, was that yeah, he's a, small, small, he's a smaller guy. Yeah, the small dude. Like I was almost like watching him on some of those reps when he was lined wide and try to bend the edge. So this will get credited for Thomas, but I don't think it should be personally. I mean, he's got another defensive player lined up over him who bails at the snap into coverage. He has to account for that. Peterson's rushing from a really wide angle and just I think has a really good individual edge bend here to get around Thomas personally. Yeah, it's a good edge bend, and it, you're right, though, man. Like, you don't see a lot of old cornerbacks being able to do this. And if you look at the coverage, you had Daniel Bellinger wide open, but you can't sit here and just fault Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones here, this is a vertical shot, right? He's looking downfield. You have the two deep horizontal crossers. It's kind of a staple of a Brian Dable coached offense with the deep post at the top of the screen to occupy two safeties. So now you have one-on-one -on -one matchups for these deep horizontal crossers. It looks like you have two guys, one guy underneath and then over top of Isaiah Hodgins. But what does that do? That isolates Richie James because Harrison Smith bites on Isaiah Hodgins. Richie James would have been wide open on this play if Daniel Jones was able to, or if Andrew Thomas, I should say, was able to kind of pick up Patrick Peterson. Watch how Richie James kind of breaks from that hash to the numbers. It seems like even the, the defender, Dan, who was on, was on Richie James, ended up coming off of Richie James to go to Isaiah Hodgins. So there would have been nobody on Richie James, not one player. Everybody took Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's a pass protection issue, but I really just think it's an incredible individual rep by Peterson. I don't know any. I honestly, 
I, maybe I haven't watched, you know, like, I haven't seen every defensive tape ever, Nick, obviously, but I don't know too many. Every time I watch those corner blitzes in the NFL, they never look like that, where you have this incredible individual edge bend from a corner. It's usually like a free rusher that gets there. So just thought this was a wildly good play. Now that sets up this little um, quick stick route to Richie James just to get them into a third and nine situation. It's still third and long, but it's better than third and 17. Yep, just get the football to Richie James. You can see how Daniel Bellinger's route kind of clears out some space. Good job by Jones just to diagnose it and get themselves into a more manageable situation, albeit it's a third and nine. Yeah, but third and nine, It's this play's really interesting to me. It just kind of like stands out in my mind because I think about this year. One thing that I've really noticed, darkest district, uh, contrast between Kafka and Garrett, when I watched the tape with Garrett, there were so many of these third and long type uh, you know, situations where every single route was covered. There was quite literally nowhere to go with the football. That's so rare with Mike Kafka. There's so few plays, even on this tape, where you're going to see nothing open potentially. You may see some plays where the pass protection ruins what's open or like that last play Nick broke down where, yeah, Bellinger was wide open, but it's designed to go downfield. But you just don't see the same thing you saw with Garrett, which was a lot of those plays with just absolutely nothing open. And I think credit does it, you know, that is something that Kafka should be credited for here. You see on this third and nine, the switch release or is this, yeah, not a switch release, but just a really good release from Richie James creates separation and he is wide open. Um, Jones just didn't see him and the, and the, the pressure played a key role in this because Bredesen does a pretty poor job here uh, with the twist. It's similar to the third and five play that Richie James dropped. It's right. a, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent certain if that came from a stack, but the giants have a stack at the bottom of the screen. Richie James is off the line of scrimmage. So he's going to allow Darius Slayton to kind of clear out, Richie James is just going to follow him, which is going to open up every defender to the outside and then just explode back to the inside. You can see how he just creates so much separation against the covering defender who was aligned in press initially over the top of Darius Slayton. Richie James wide open over the middle of the field. If Daniel great Jones route, saw him, yeah, it's a great route combination. But this is just Mike Kafka understanding that it's going to be man coverage in this third and nine situation. He might see pressure. So just get a quick wide receiver to win off the line of scrimmage and win inside. Set up his leverage by the initial release. You can see how he does just that. And now he has all that space to the inside. Jones just wasn't looking at him, unfortunately. And he ends up getting hit because Minnesota, he brought they brought, they brought five, Dan, but it was the twists that really kind of jacked up the New right. York Giants pass protection, which really isn't to anybody's surprise. Ben Bredesen kind of gets beat really poorly on this play from the looping Zadarius Smith. But watch what Andrew Thomas does to Daniil Hunter on the, on the pass off. He just buries him. Boom. Puts him right on the ground. Really nice rep from Andrew Thomas. Those are the type of reps that really stand out. But. What I think about when I see this play is, man, it's another missed opportunity for the Giants. If he sees James early or if the protection's better, whatever it may be, gets the ball to James, it's an easy conversion because he's ready at the sticks, maybe even some yards after the catch if it's led to him in the middle of the field um, and he just gets vertical. And that's immediately in Gano range. So that's another three points. So we've already counted six with the two turnovers. Well, here's another three that get taken off the board. And you can see how Jones's eyes, they see Harrison Smith bailing at this point. And I'm not really sure why he doesn't go to Rich James or look to his left. Maybe he thought that safety was just going to come down on it because it doesn't appear like there's a lot going on to the right side of the field where Daniel right. Jones is looking. It's just Daniel Bellinger and I think Darius and Darius Slayton, if I'm not mistaken. Darius Slayton has somebody in trail with Harrison Smith over top. So he must have maybe thought Daniel Bellinger was going to do something differently or keep his route towards the outside. But I don't, I don't even know if the leverage really makes sense there. It just wasn't that much to where Daniel Jones was looking. Unfortunately, yeah. incomplete pass and Giants forced the punt. Yep, and that takes us to halftime, and we'll load up this next drive, which is the first one out of half, their sixth possession of the game. This was an eight-play, 49-yard drive 
Um, how did this one end? I don't even know how this ended. I think it doesn't say. I think it's uh, I think it's seven plays, and okay. what happens on this drive? The Giants go for, or they have a third and three, I believe, and Isaiah Hodgins. It's just an incomplete pass. Right. Football. Oh, it's a punt. Okay. Yep. So it starts off here once we get into this with a little three-yard run for Barkley. This is the first of two defensive holding calls called in this game, one against the Giants, one against the Vikings. Very rarely see that, but I feel like once they call the first one, they were like almost guaranteed to call the second one to be quote-unquote fair. It's just how I feel I could be wrong. It's just a general gut feel about the NFL officiating these days. Um, but it is a holding call, which sets up a first and 10 after this three-yard run. And you can see how Harrison Phillips, number 97, gets his hands on Nick Gates and then just prevents Nick Gates from climbing up right. to Jordan Hicks. That's a defensive hold, and it sets up a first and 10 rush by Matt Breida that goes for three yards on his own read. Yeah, for three-yard rush, what I found interesting was this was directly after Barkley was in on the first down play. I, I, you know, I hadn't seen earlier in the season any possessions where Barkley started the possession and then just came out after a play or two. Just something to keep an eye on if we see him pop up on the injury report this week. I don't think it's anything serious or anything. Obviously, played the rest of the game, made some big plays. But maybe it's just a rep management thing they're trying to keep an eye on. But here's a little three-yard run to set up a second and seven. And on the second and seven, the Giants are going to run one of their favorite new route combos. I don't want to call it new, but something we've seen a lot more lately, the double slant. And you'll see that at the bottom of the screen if you're watching on YouTube. And, of course, it has a flat built in to kind of take away the defender. And here he just drives the ball to Richie James for nine yards and a first. These types of pass concepts are just so easy for Daniel Jones when they're when they're really quick like this. Just a couple steps out of the break, just deliver the football to the upfield shoulder, pick up easy yardage. I'm just I'm glad that the Giants are at least establishing a rhythm. Hopefully they can do it against a little bit more difficult opponents right. than the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, and Indy's going to be one of those because Indy's actually pretty good DVOA wise. And here you're seeing this next play first and 10, 22 yard deep over to Darius Slayton here against cover three match defense couple things that are interesting to note. Marcus Johnson's on the field here, and just that's kind of a, he's not the guy, but he's what I want in the sense that I want speed on the field at all times for my receivers so they can do things like he did. Look at the kind of attention he ha he takes away. Look at how deep, look at how, based on his speed in that vertical route, look how, how deep it takes the corner out of that range to potentially make a playback on Darius Slayton, takes the safety out of the play. That's two defenders it clears out to open up that area of the field for Darius Slayton. And as we go eventually to the end zone angle of this, this was a play I put on Twitter earlier because it was a really great play from Daniel Jones in the sense that it kind of showcases one thing that's really changed so much, the most, in my opinion, under Dable. I think Dable, Kafka, and Tierney have done an insane job, really just, I don't want to say fixing him, but coaching him to get to the point where he's at from where he was at after his first three years. And one of those areas is his pocket manipulation and his pocket feel. Here you can see Daniel Jones get pressure immediately. And what does he do? He doesn't fall backwards like he used to do. Like, remember, he used to drift backwards or sometimes he would just immediately try to roll right. Instead, he slides to the left. Slide, slide. Don't waste any steps. Resets, finds a passing lane and delivers an absolute strike to Darius Slayton here. A heavy ball with good ball placement and good velocity. And look at his eyes the entire time. His eyes are downfield reading, and he's still able to feel the pressure. That is, that's, that's development. This is yes. not the Daniel Jones that we witnessed, I would even say, last year. And I felt like he had a little bit of an improvement from 2020 to, or 2020 to 2021. But right now, he has his eyes downfield. He's reading coverage. He knows that the pressure is coming from Evan Neal's side. So he just steps, like you said, avoids, 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 extends the play, and then delivers the football on target. Like th That's progression from Daniel Jones, and I'm excited to see it. 
I am too, because that's a really good sign. I think they're going to bring him back, and I think they should, at least for the short term. And if he can continue to improve and show different things, it's going to be interesting because he's doing things a lot better than he ever has, in my opinion, in his career. Even in 2019, I include that because I don't feel 2019 was as good as others do. I feel like a lot of that was mostly just beating up on three bad defenses and a lot of just half-field, high-low stuff without actually doing much like mentally as he, or, you know, as mentally as he's doing now. Plus the pocket presence in general, the pocket manipulation, just night and day, even from 2019. So sets up here, another 21 personnel look, which is, again, two running backs on the field at the same time. They bring Matt Breida in motion to try to have show off some eye candy here, uh, maybe get the defense flowing in that direction, and ends up being a three-yard run to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, just three yards, just simple... Simple stuff to set up a second and seven where the Giants are going to go back to the run with Saquon Barkley. There really wasn't a lot of space for Saquon Barkley to operate. But now you can see they're not under center. They're just running out of the shotgun using zone read. It felt like Saquon Barkley did a good enough job getting three yards on this play, just kind of shoving a defender who ended up penetrating away from him to allow him to at least get across a line of scrimmage. But you can see how the Vikings are just kind of rabid to stop him in this play. And I think, I know it's a double team, but I think, you know, Gates and Thomas did a good job blocking down to create that potential cutback lane for Barkley to get in there, you know, and have an extra three yards instead of a, a negative one. And obviously you can see that on the plus side. You can also see on the negative side, Feliciano ends up on the ground. He ended up on the ground multiple times in this game. Uh, not what you want to ever see from an offensive lineman. Yeah, he ends up getting put on the ground, but he gets kind of schemed two versus one. I felt like the True. Vikings did a really good job using 91 directly over the top of him, sending... 91 to Feliciano's left and then bringing Eric Kendricks to Feliciano's right. And that's very tough assignment for Feliciano. The combo, you're right, is very good. Great finish by Andrew Thomas after Nick Gates realized what the hell is going on and helped, tried to help Feliciano out. Daniel Bellinger kind of loses his block against Jordan Hicks. It's going to happen against linebackers sometimes, and Saquon's only able to get three. Yep, and so that sets up a third and three situation. Third and very manageable here, but it's going to be an incomplete pass here. Uh, I believe after... A little bit of pressure up front with a twist. There is an opportunity to hit Darius Slayton potentially over the middle of the field if Jones gets it out fast, um, but he doesn't see it or he doesn't, or maybe he's not reading it early and the pressure is there, but ultimately the ball doesn't go in that direction. The Giants love running these types of concepts with the drag from the outside guy and then a deep over type of route, whether that be a from dig Slayton. or a horizontal cross. And you can see Darius Slayton is open. I like this route concept though, because you have that because this is a three by one set. But then you also have Saquon Barkley releasing. So it's only a five-man protection, which is dangerous for the Giants. But he goes to the flat, Saquon Barkley. Now you have Daniel Bellinger kind of running a just like a, a wheel route, if you want to call it that. But he's not really wheeling around anybody. It's just an outward-releasing route from, a, I would say, minus split inside the numbers of about four yards to well outside the numbers just to take that safety and that deep defender away. And you can see how he's taking Patrick Peterson away. And now you have Darius Slayton wide open in the middle of the field with those underneath receivers paying attention to Richie James. It's just Daniel Jones had too much pressure on him from uh, kind of a few different defenders. The pocket kind of collapsed around him and he ends up getting hit as he threw the ball away. And earlier we said that this drive ended in a punt. We were wrong. This one ended in a field goal. It was the first of two field goal drives back to back. And so we'll set up the next one here, which was a eighth eight play on their seventh drive, an eight play 55 yard drive that also ended in a field goal here. Uh, where at the end it got bogged down by a sack in the red zone, but some really good stuff on offense before that. You can kind of see the entire second half, really, the Giants got their exception at 1-3 now with the block punt. Their offense was really clicking in the second half here. It starts off with the first and 10, another two high look from the Vikings with those two safeties playing deep, decently deep here. So just take what you get underneath, a little off leverage at the top of the screen with Hodgins. So just a little quick 
throw you know a quick ball to Hodgins and it's a four yard gain. It looks like an RPO from the Giants. You can see how everybody's blocking up like it's going to be run. Daniel Jones likes what he saw with the safety kind of coming down, and then that meant that there was going to be a one-on-one matchup for Isaiah Hodgins against that player up at the top of the screen. And just a nice, quick, easy rally. What does Isaiah Hodgins do? He takes like three steps off the line of scrimmage and just comes right back. Quick, easy yardage. Good tackle, though, by number 20 to ensure that Hodgins doesn't get anything more. Second and six situation here. This was a great read, I thought, by Daniel Jones. He recognizes the blitzing linebacker before the snap, which gives him, in my opinion, the opportunity to have a ton of space if he throws this Barkley in the field side. And that's exactly what you can see. You can see the linebacker blitzing up. That creates separation for Barkley. The It is also not the greatest angle taken by, I guess, that Vikings defensive back, but it's not entirely his fault either because of how the play developed and because of what was called defensively with the blitz. And so take the space, throw the field side, and get it to Barkley. And what happens? He gets 18 yards on this. Daniel Jones quickly diagnoses this. He sees 33, who Jones might have originally thought was on Saquon Barkley. You can see Jones right at this moment. He's looking. 33 is coming right through the B gap. Evan Neal has a two versus one. Jones just takes the, what is there. 91 tries the blitz, and then he realizes that no one's on Barkley. 58, Jordan Hicks, all the way from the other side, has to cover Saquon Barkley. So Daniel Jones recognizes right away, got the football out to the running back, and that was a smart play. Yep. And that sets up a first and 10 here. They run a little play action play here. Um, they're trying to run a deep cross and a deep dig, a, a you know, a longer developing route concept, route combination. It's not ultimately there for the Giants. So Jones decides to run and gets two yards here. Yep, just two yards, Dan, for Daniel Jones. People might think he has the deep over route to Darius Slayton. It looks like he kind of comes off it to see, or not Darius Slayton, Richie James. It looks like he kind of comes off it to see what exactly is going on with Isaiah Hodgins at the top of the screen. The safety is kind of bracketing over the top of, I believe that's Richie James in the slot. So Jones just kind of sees that no one's accounting for him with two guys taking Darius Slayton's drag route. So he thinks he's probably going to pick up a little bit more than just two yards with his legs. But like the Vikings did a pretty good job coming off their routes and rallying around Daniel Jones. But Jones didn't want to pull the trigger on those routes that I don't want to say they were there, but it's possible you can make that throw. I'm okay with him not making the throw to the dig up top. I feel like that defender is in good position. And then the other defender just has too many guys around him. I can understand why people say that, hey, it's there, take it. But at the same time, you know that Daniel Jones is coached to use his legs when opportunities present themselves. I feel like the opportunity was there, but the Vikings just made a good play to rally around him and tackle him. I'd have to agree with that entirely. And that sets up a second and eight here. So this was, to me, I thought the best throw of the season from Daniel Jones personally, just when I factor in everything, which is the difficulty level, because he's, again, doing something we haven't seen a lot of. And what's that? Throw to the field side. Remember, we talked about this all last podcast on the All-22 against Washington. Like There were times where um, Jack Del Rio would just bail the corner from the, from the field side because he just was like, screw it. I know he's not throwing the ball there. Maybe that's something they looked at, right? Maybe they saw that on tape and were like, we have these opportunities. Let's try to take them. They took one uh, here, and it's just an absolute strike to the field side to Richie James. Now, some people are like, oh, if he threw this ball a little more inside and led him a little bit more, uh, it's a touchdown because he can throw it ahead of him. That's a, such a difficult throw to make. In my opinion, I would I just don't think it's fair to nitpick a, a throw like this and expect like the perfect ball here. This is as this is pretty close to a perfect ball, right? Like it's to the sideline, it's outside the numbers, it's not too inside where it can be intercepted, and it's a strike. It's got velocity, it's a heavy ball, and it's to the field side. This is again my favorite throw of the season pro- probably from Daniel Jones. And it's a post wheel. We've been talking yeah, about it for so long. Finally through the post wheel, you're right. But you know what? It's kind of funny because the post route never was able to, to actually materialize because Kenny Galladay got interfered with 
but you have the switch release, and this is one of Galladay's two plays. He has a really big impact running this post route just by making contact with the defender and kind of getting tripped up. The Vikings can't get their the defender to switch onto Richie James because he has to work through the traffic. And you can also see that's definitely a defensive hold on Kenny against Kenny Galladay. But this is yeah. an extra throw. Yeah, I think you did a good job uh, talking about it. Could it be placed maybe a little bit more if you're being really precise and, and kind of anal about your analysis? Sure. But this is a drive from the far hash that uh, I, I applaud Daniel Jones. Yeah, I'll take this throw any day. I, I think, again, like maybe the Justin Herberts of the world, those types of people are probably throwing this in the touchdown. But those are like three or four guys in the entire NFL. There's probably 15 to 20 that not only aren't throwing it where the, where Jones threw it to James, they're like throwing it out of bounds or they're throwing it short or they're lobbing it or they're not and it's, and it's getting broken up. I think the vast majority of quarterbacks aren't making that throw, which is a good sign, I think, for the Giants there. Um, and so here it sets up this first and 10, and they are just going to run a little zone read here. It's a four-yard gain. Um, uh, Barkley does a good job making a defender miss right in that A-gap. Yeah, Brian Azamoa, man, he's he's explosive. He's an Oklahoma defender. We were talking about Oklahoma defenders before, and th this kid was uh, one of the more explosive linebackers in the draft last year, and he had a really impactful game. You see how Saquon Barkley just is able to make a miss Right in the uh, right, right at the line of scrimmage. Just a good play by Barkley, but he ends up getting dragged down by uh, number ninety. Yep, and that'll set up a. Well, it would have set up a second and six, but Gates has another false start here. Or I believe one of his penalties was a holding. This one was a false start by Gates. A lot of a, a good amount of penalties in this game that chain that changed a lot of possessions. Unfortunately for the Giants with Gates, because that puts them in a second eleven instead. Um, they're just going to try to do what we talked about a little bit earlier, get the ball in space to Barkley, but this time the Vikings are prepared for it. Um, and they, and they, you know, they turned it into what a two yard game. Yeah. It only gets two yards to set up a third and nine. Saquon Barkley was just kind of chilling out. Nobody matched him, but the uh, Vikings were pretty disciplined in their zones, drop the depth and then just rally and tackle set up this third and nine where Daniel Jones never want to get sacked when you're in field goal range. And it's third down, but Graham Gano is a great kicker to still make this 55. I think it was, was this ended up being a 55 yard field goal, regardless of the fact DJ Wanham gets the sack around Evan Neal and uh, Evan Neal just kind of set too far. And then Wanham just worked back to the inside and stayed at the depth point of where Daniel Jones was the entire time. So just a really good play by Wanham, but the Vikings as, as, as good as I, I think the giants protection did on the whole, Evan Neal was definitely a, um, a negative. And you can see a couple other things that contributed to this play being dead. The first is if you watch Richie James before the snap, you just saw it on an angle. He has no clue what the what the play is because he throws his hands up and then after throwing his hands up, kind of just runs his own route. Nothing great there. You know, it's not great if he doesn't know the play. And then at the top of the screen, which you can't see from this angle, they tried to run a double move and the corner played it really well. So that double move was completely taken away. I think ideally that's where the ball you want to be to throw the ball. I think that's probably Hodgins at the bottom of the screen here trying to run this double move, but it might be Galladay. I'm not exactly sure. That's Hodgins. It's Hodgins. Um, and yeah, this time he runs the double move, but it's played really well by the corner. Yeah, it looks like Jones looked that way secondarily after he thought about running. He's looking to the field side first. And you know what? I mean, like you, you I'm not sure if Richie James didn't know his route, but he's putting his hands up. I don't know if he's making some kind of call no, on if that's going to be a blitz or whatnot. But either right. way, James has space outside, but that defender who might have been blitzing just stays on Daniel Bellinger. There's really nowhere for Daniel Jones to go with the football. He ends up taking this sack. It wasn't a ton. It wasn't a huge lost yardage type of situation. I believe the Giants only lost like two yards on it. So it set up the, the field or three yards and set up the field goal for Graham. Gano. Yeah, offense clicking. 
The next drive is a five-play, 43-yard drive that unfortunately ends in an interception, but the offense was moving on that drive, right, as we're about to see. And again, this is the second turnover in scoring position for, for Gano, at worst, the Gano range, and it's on first down. That's the killer. It's not third down. It's not second and long. Uh, but it starts off here with a really good high-low here, and you'll see Hodgins for 17. You have just really good stuff going on. You have Andrew Thomas with an incredible rep in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, and they're, they're at the point where they can literally slide their protection to the right and leave him purely on an island, and he can handle himself despite basically giving the defensive end like a two-way option. Like he can go inside and there's no help, or he can get up the arc and try to beat him. Thomas doesn't fall for any of it. I also thought that Bredesen and Feliciano did a really good job picking up the 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 sun the blitz up up front and then you know it gives a lot of time and what does that create when you have a lot of time you can eventually hit you know a deep crosser here and good job by Hodgins to create separation on this route as well yeah Hodgins and Richie James almost plucks this because this is a high low concept again Giants love running one guy on the drag one guy on the dig or the over and Richie James you can see how close that is we'll see it on the end zone angle and then you also have Daniel Bellinger removing that underneath the fender to create that throwing window Harrison Smith just really good route concepts from from Mike Kafka, but I also like the route by Darius Slayton. Now, there's going to be a safety over the top, so it's not going to really matter, but watch how Darius Slayton kind of establishes leverage on Patrick Peterson and works around him and gets vertical. Now, Patrick Peterson isn't playing a technique to where he's going to fully flip his hips and cover this because he thinks he's going to have safety help, but Peterson, you can see, is kind of watching to see if Isaiah Hodgins is going to break open, but I think the way Darius Slayton threatens Peterson in his blind spot stops Peterson from coming off this play and, and driving downhill on Isaiah Hodgins. Does that make sense? Do you see what I I'm talking that about? That makes a lot of sense there. And that's part of what I mean when I talk about like, what does it add having a slate on the field? Oh, you can just harp on the catch percentage, or you can look at like, he's creating enough vertical separation. Also enough, he's enough of a vertical threat that Peterson or any quarterback cornerback can't come off and make a play on that. Exactly. Look, look at Patrick. And I say this because if you look at Patrick Peterson here, Patrick Peterson right now, there's a little bit of a hesitation where he's chopping his feet like he's going to drive back downhill, but then he reaches the field where Darius Slayton is and just stays with Darius Slayton. And at that point, Al Hodgins is making the catch. I think he was thinking about coming off and then helping 20 out and kind of trap cover, a uh, cover covering Isaiah Hodgins on this one play, but that doesn't necessarily happen. And Isaiah Hodgins ends up coming away with a nice 17 yard gain. And I want to check out that Andrew Thomas rep too for everybody. Yeah, let's let's take a look at the end zone angle for that. Yeah, and Andrew Bredesen and Feliciano do a good job as well. Yeah, Andrew Thomas against Zadarius Smith. And Zadarius Smith tries to do kind of like a ghost technique rush where he's just going to dip his inside shoulder, kind of fake a long arm or a chop, and then just win with speed. And Andrew Thomas keeps his hands and then he sees what's happening, makes contact, and just continues flowing up the arc gets his chest on the back as the Darius Smith goes to twist inside or spin inside. And there's just really nowhere for Smith to go. It, it doesn't even look like Andrew Thomas is that challenged by it. And that's just one of those things where you're a really good offensive tackle. You just make like, it's aesthetically pleasing to watch you play. Yeah. And Andrew Thomas is at that point. I think that's a very well, you know, nuanced way to describe that. And it's true. It is aesthetically pleasing watching him play left tackle, which is great for us. Um, anyway, Sets up a first and 10 here after a chunk gain of 17. And here comes another chunk gain against the cover, too. It's a 14-yard chunk out of the, you know, under center, play action, rips the ball to Richie James. This is a great read by Daniel Jones here. He recognizes that this is going to be available to him, and he just drives the football into James. And you could see pre-snap, it looks like this could be like a cover three, it could be quarters. It goes to a cover two type defense. And I think this is one of the reasons why 
Brian Dable and this coaching staff loved Richie James because Richie James is very smart with these types of routes. He's going to, his initial stem is going to explode off the line of scrimmage. He's going to eat inside, eat inside, get that defender who's kind of walling Richie James off. And what I mean by walling him off means he's basically going to turn his shoulders towards Richie James and not allow Richie James to cross his face inside. He's influencing him outside. So Richie James just goes to, to uh, explode inside. And then I think he recognizes the coverage and then just sits right in the spot where that other flat defender is supposed to come out and help the walling off defender. And look, he doesn't flow back to the outside. He just kind of sits. And I think these are the types of things when we talk about choice routes and things of that nature, it's just understanding where to be depending on the coverage that you see and being on the same page as your quarterback. And that's exactly what we're getting from Richie James on a little simple play like this one that ends up going for 14 yards. Well said. So that sets up a first and 10 here. Another thing I'd like to see, which is Jones doing a better job of kind of reading things out pre-snap when it comes to the blitz. He reads the blitz and gets this alert out to, to James on a four-yard uh, for the bubble and ends up only being four yards. At some point, they're going to break one of these. I don't know when it's going to be. Hopefully this season. Maybe you need different personnel. We'll find out. But at some point, this is going to turn into a bigger game. Yes, it's going to turn into a bigger game. But if you look at the formation that we broke down maybe about a half hour ago, you have a cornerback over the top of Richie James looking inside with the safety about six yards, seven yards off of the apex defender's ass. It's that same look that he threw the bubble at in the red zone before that ended up getting rallied and tackled. But here, the blitz comes. Jones recognizes it, gets the football to Richie James. Isaiah Hodgins does a good job taking on the defender who was initially assigned to Richie James, but then the other cornerback makes a really good open field tackle. Sets up a second and six. And this is another good job in quick game. Again, let Jones cook in quick game, right? Let the offense operate through him in the shotgun in the past pass heavy approach. That's what I like, at least at this point. And, you know, it's a high low against the cover two look. It's pretty simple stuff. It's not hard for Jones to diagnose this. He sees it and he gets the ball out to Darius Slayton here. And Slayton does the rest after the catch and turns this into what? An eight yard game to move the chains. Exactly. Yep. And good job by Slayton to recollect himself after catching the football. It's just a little like pivot return route. And Patrick Peterson needs to respect Daniel Bellinger's seven. Just an excellent timed call, called play against this defense. Sets up a first and 10 here. Unfortunately, this is the play where they try to run the play action and he's going to try to throw the ball, but it's intercepted. Uh, This is one that Nick was talking about earlier when the receiver is kind of well into his horizontal plane. Sometimes Jones's ball placement is off, and this is an example of that. The the throw is not where it should be. It's inside. It should be leading the receiver. So if anything, it should be way outside to lead the receiver. So at worst, it's incomplete. Um, Instead, when you throw it too far inside, like you see on this example, there's a chance for an interception. You want to give no chance for an interception. Best way to do that is just to lead the receiver. Good play by Andrew Thomas to hustle and get Patrick Peterson out of bounds. You'll see it on the end zone angle if you're watching on YouTube. Under center, you're going for play action. Isaiah Hodgins, at this point, he has space if you lead Isaiah Hodgins, but Daniel Jones just throws it behind. It has to be at least another, like, what, two, three yards upfield, depending on the trajectory you're throwing with. But if you're going to throw it on a dart like that, you can't put it behind your receiver. Patrick Peterson can easily, and this is a good play by Peterson too. I'll give credit where it's due, but this is an easy play for a player like that. If you're yeah, it's an easy up. play in trail position for someone like Peterson. He's going to be able to kind of undercut that every time. So you really need that ball thrown upfield. Part of why you can't throw it upfield, at least a, you got to give at least part of it to this, is a really, really bad rep, unfortunately, from Evan Neal here. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson, man, just gives him a yeah, shot. It's tough. It's a tough him. look. Like you're, it's, Part of it is what you talk about sometimes, Nick. It's like, look at his – he just never is good with his – it seems like he's really bad with his hands so far against NFL-level talent. Um, which I didn't think was like a massive issue at, at Alabama. I don't know. But look how fast like he gets defeated. 
Yeah, it's not even it's it's not even just the hands. You're right because I feel like his hands at Alabama were vice grips. Here he doesn't really establish and then like get you like Josh Azudu. We talk about vice grips for hands, right? right? I feel like Josh Azudu even at the NFL level, if he gets his hands inside you, you're done. Evan Neal, not so much. Evan Neal has a really tough time sustaining. And I think the worst thing about Evan Neal in these types of situations is he doesn't bring his feet with him. Like his eyes, his feet, his hips, his hands, they all don't work in unison together. Right. And that's a big problem. You can see it here. He has his hands on Dalvin Thomas. And this is a little bit different. This isn't a traditional pass set. So this is like a play action rollout type of play. Judging by, or I don't even want to say rollout. It's just a play action play where Daniel Jones is going to set up in the pocket because there's no way Daniel Jones would roll out. There's no routes going to to his right. But Evan Neal, you can see how Dalvin Tomlinson, he has like kind of the half man at this point, but Evan Neal doesn't bring his feet. He just stops his feet. Look how high he is. Like, how are you going to generate any strength when you're when you're when your core is so extended, right? There's no position of power that Evan Neal has on this block at this moment. If you're watching on YouTube, then Dalvin Thompson all he has to do is break the contact of that inside arm, which he does, and now he's just able to run away right into the pocket. I just feel like Evan Neal does such a poor job framing the blocks and and kind of knowing where he is and how to use his position relative to the pocket to keep that defender from harassing his quarterback. I think that's a fair breakdown, and hopefully that's something he can improve. But on this play. Jones throws it inside, intercepted, takes another three points at minimum off the works. Again, it was first down. It could be even more. Um, so just an unfortunate situation. Sets up the next drive for the Giants. This is a six-play drive. 18 yards ends in a field goal here. Um, this one also had the devastating Richie James drop on third and five. I mean, that was just perfect read by Jones, perfect route combination by Kafka. It's as good as it gets. The ball is thrown good, and he just flat out drops it. So that sucked. But this is a 21 personnel look from the split back. And it's six-yard gain for Saquon Barkley. That should have been a negative one, right? Like he's got two defenders bearing down him for an easy TFL, and he just does an incredible job of evading both of them. He does an amazing job. I love the 21 personnel package. I think the Giants, I think I might have tweeted this. They use 21 personnel, I think, more than they did in any other game. I think they use like 9% of the time. So you like that trend. I feel like it gets more explosive athletes on the football field that you can use in a variety of different ways. You can see Daniel Jones just sees that, who's at 54 is just slightly inside, and he's a little bit late to break to Saquon Barkley. See how he's just literally a tad late to break. And then Daniel Jones is like, all right, I'm going to get him the football, and now you're going to have everything blocked up. So this is actually a design. And <laughs> I don't even know how Saquon Barkley does this, man. He's able to evade both of these players and make them look silly. Daniel Bellinger misses his block initially, comes back, and then makes a really important block on 54 to help spring this play. Yep. That'll set up a second and four for the Giants. It's going to be a little split action run here. This was one of those where I was looking at the film, man, and I was like, damn, dude, if Evan Neal could just hold his block for one and a half more seconds at most, at, at, you know, that's all you need. This could have been a huge play because it would have eventually the player who comes down and makes the play is the player who Evan Neal was on and engaged with. Um, but he just quickly throws Evan Neal to the ground really upon first it, contact. It's and, um, I don't want to kill Neal for this because sometimes your feet get tangled up and okay. That's exactly what happened. You could see how Mark Lewinsky's guy releases number 90, releases outside, and then he kicks one of the plant legs of Evan Neal. You could see if you're watching on YouTube, he just right. kicks it, and that doesn't allow Evan Neal to really yeah. do anything. Evan Neal kind of falls to the ground. So that's not really Evan Neal's fault. That that just that happens. You're playing well, the offense. bad luck, but damn, this could have been big because then it would have just gotten Barkley vertical in one-on-one -on -one in a hole against that safety, and we know sometimes that could lead to big plays. 
Yeah, I'm wondering if that doesn't happen, does 90 get bitched like he does as bad? Uh, probably not. Like, I don't think Mark Walensky's taking anybody driving him to the ground like that unless yeah. they unless they can't establish their feet. But the release of 90 off the line of scrimmage penetrating the B-gap might have allowed Glowinski just to allow 90's momentum up the B-gap. And now you have John Feliciano against 54. Say Evan Neal makes that block. Yeah, that, that, that could have been a nice, that could have been a much nicer run. But it's football, man. Things happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's okay. Um, anyway. Ends up being a seven-yard run and a first down. Sets up a first and 10 here. And this is against a quarters look. And Jones just takes what's given to him, which is Saquon Barkley. I thought this was a really good job by Jones. Kind of, There's a lot of cl- routes clearing out the bottom of the screen if you're watching on YouTube. A lot of open space to just check down to Barkley. It ends up being a five-yard gain. It felt like it could have been bigger when I watched this on the broadcast. I was like, damn, he's got a lot of space. But Vikings actually did a good job rallying and closing that space. It is kind of crazy that Barkley only gets five yards. If you're watching on YouTube, you see I paused it. Saquon Barkley is catching the football, and there's not somebody anywhere in his stratosphere. But number 20 and Eric Hendricks and Harrison Smith all do well to really come down and collapse on Barkley. Yep, exactly. And that sets up second five where they try to run zone read with Saquon Barkley here um, and just goes for nothing, a zero-yard gain. Yeah, and there's a big block by Evan Neal. And I think it sucks, man, because Evan Neal uproots his defender in a combo block with Mark Lewinsky, the stuff that we love to see about Evan Neal. But in doing so, it knocks John Feliciano down, which knocked someone else down, which allowed the guy who ended up making the tackle make the tackle. Like the power of Evan Neal affected the New York Giants. Watch how Evan Neal gets underneath Dalvin Tomlinson and literally tosses him to the ground. But then that kind of allows John Feliciano or, or puts John Feliciano to the ground, which puts Ben Bredesen to the ground, which allows Harrison Phillips to make the play. It's yeah. a domino. Effect. It is a domino right there. Back-to-back play or two plays ago, there's like some similar type thing happened with Evan Neal getting his feet tangled up. But sets up a third and five situation here for the Giants. This is the drop at a two-by-two set. They get exactly what they want here. Bring James in motion. The Vikings blitz that inside backer. He's wide open. Jones recognizes it, reads the blitz perfectly, puts the ball right on Richie James. You can't even say a word about ball placement because it's as good as it gets, especially with the blitzer coming down. He knows he's going to take a hit, man. And James just, I think he just kind of looked up field before securing the catch. I think that's exactly what happened. happened. Yep, that's exactly what This is a great job by Jones. It's right in his face. He sees the guy come right through the B gap, knows there's a three versus two in that direction. He knows he's screwed. Unless James can win inside, which we know Mike Kafka, he's going to design those inside breaking routes, which he does. And he does this by having a three by one set, motioning Richie James to a two by two stack. That's exactly what we saw on the previous play, right? Just stem outside, go right inside against man coverage. You're going to have all the space in the world. He did. Mike Kafka drew it up, but Richie James just couldn't hang on to it. And then the Giants forced an immediate like punt, which was like a big momentum swing from the defense. But then they go three and out and get the block punt in the span of four plays. That was what really, I think, lost them this game, if you're looking for one thing, because it just changed so much of the impact of the game. So we'll go over this three and out drive here. It starts off where they're just trying to get Barkley the ball in the flat like they have been all game. But this time, the Vikings make a good play on it and stop it for one yard. Yeah, Eric Kendricks, man, is a really good play to restrict Barkley's space and challenge. You can see how before they weren't taking these aggressive angles, right? Like they would kind of run along the line of scrimmage. But now they're like, we're not going to even allow Saquon Barkley to collect himself once he catches the football and give himself a two-way go. Because we don't want to look like John Bostic from last week. So get him the football and then be right in his face. And then Saquon really doesn't have anywhere to go. Good play by Eric Kendricks. Yep, sets up a second and nine. The Giants try to get themselves into a third and manageable. So they're just going to 
look at the off leverage here, pre-snap, and throw a little five-yarder to Isaiah Hodgins. And Isaiah Hodgins able to come down with this catch, too. Makes it. Can't get to the sideline because Harrison Smith kind of clamps down. But you got to like the fact that they're trying to get themselves into some manageable situations, but they can't do anything on this incomplete pass to Isaiah Hodgins on another quick route that seemed to be predetermined. Yeah, so this is an interesting one because it's definitely quick game predetermined. He wants to get the ball to Hodgins because he's going to be able to win that route like he did earlier in the game as we saw in that third and five there. It was basically the exact same play, and he would have had to take a hit. But the, the, the sucky thing about this is if you're looking on YouTube at the top of the screen, Darius Slayton has one of his, I mean, he gets three in this game. There's three filthy releases from Darius Slayton. We've already gone over one. Another will come later. Here's the second one where he just completely burns Patrick Peterson off the line of scrimmage for his release. They say in the NFL, one yard of separation is considered separation. This is like two. I mean, he's got a, he's got at least a yard by that point, and he's got the step on Patrick Peterson. But again, with all these quick game type predetermined type throws, he's just never really looking at Slayton here. No, he's not. I think he believes 24 is going to be on Daniel Bellinger. He was right. So now all Isaiah Hodgins needs to do is win inside. But I feel like that linebacker, Jordan Hicks, just plays this really well, reading Daniel Jones right. and then delivering this football. And Isaiah Hodgins has to catch it with two guys contacting him, sandwiching him. And then the cornerback does a really good job just kind of stripping Isaiah Hodgins of the football, which forces a punt, which ended up getting blocked. And like you said, I think that would be the determining point of this game. It's very hard that the, the Giants were even in this game. It's kind of not miraculous or anything because I don't believe the Vikings are all that good of a football team relative to their record, but they had a lot of mistakes and they shot themselves in the foot, the New York Giants, yet they took a 61-yard field goal at the last second to win this game. 100%. The Giants had two turnovers in field goal range and that that punt, uh, you know, the drop on third and five, all, all sorts of things that screwed them up in this game and took points off the board and they still almost won. But we'll go over this gotta have it 11, uh, 11th drive, the seventh play, 75-yard touchdown drive and the two-point conversion play we're going to run through. Look, the Giants picked up this drive with three minutes to go. Everything was on the line. They need to go 75 yards, score a touchdown, and convert the two-point conversion. They did all of that. That's a really good check mark for me, at least, in the Daniel Jones book, and it should be for anyone. It starts off here with just a simple stick route to Richie James for eight yards. Yep, just simple. Just find space between two defenders, move the sticks, get your offense in a rhythm. I feel like over the last couple Games Giants have done a really good job with that. Sets up a second and two where Daniel Jones is going to find Richie James. Yeah, so this is probably one of those ones. Look, only been a few, but this is the second throw. The the, the other th the early throw to Saquon Barkley in the flat that was low and away. And this one to me, look, it may go down as a drop, but I never consider these drops when the ball's behind the receiver. I know you're supposed to catch it, but I think it's really hard to flip your hips around, flip your whole body around, and catch it on your back shoulder. This is not... Again, not and it's similar to what you said, by the way, a guy, you know, creating separation on the horizontal plane. He's already kind of running on that horizontal plane and the ball's thrown behind him. Really, let's be honest about the situation. This should this should be thrown to his left shoulder. Yeah, I would agree. This is a drop. I, I, I would say it's a drop, but the ball placement has to be better in Daniel Jones's defense. I'm thinking maybe Daniel Jones put this football where he did because the safety. The safety. Is yep, and that's fair. Yes. And I think that's maybe, a fair, fair thing to consider. I think that's probably the reason why, albeit on these types of routes, this is on the horizontal plane, but it does seem like Richie James is kind of out of his break at this point or just kind of coming out of his break and rounding into form. It's not kind of like the other play, whereas the Darius Slayton one was he was moving well out of his break. He was already like on his like fifth step out of the break. And those are the throws where I feel like Daniel Jones struggles here. This could have been a little bit of the safety being where he was him thinking Richie James was going to stop his route because the safety was there. 
or it could have just been ball, bad ball placement. It's kind of a little bit hard to tell, but it's uh, not as clear to me that it was just purely on Jones. And I think that's fair. Uh, here we go with this third and two situation here. This to me is a really good example why you need a player like Darius Slayton on your roster because he creates so much after the catch that other players don't do. Think back to that Texans game. All they did was throw it out to him in the flat, and he took it for 55 yards for a touchdown in a Texans game that ended in an eight-point win. And you just have plays like that throughout the game, throughout the season that haven't been made by other receivers for whatever reason. You know, Richie James isn't making those kinds of plays. Isaiah Hodgins, I love him. He's not making those kinds of plays. Kenny Galladay, David Sills, whoever they've tried there. Wandell had a couple close, but nothing like this. And this is a 32-yard gain on just a simple drag over the middle. And a lot of that is because he has the speed and the post-catch acceleration to create those extra 25 yards. And if you really want to just look at brilliance and coaching and things like that, top of the screen, you have the stack. We've been talking about stacks all game. This time, Darius Slayton, he's on the line of scrimmage. Daniel Bellinger is off. The defender who was kind of up on Darius Slayton is Harrison Smith. He's a safety, right? He's been in the league for a while. He's a pro bowler, very good football player. And then there's one defender who is about six yards off of Harrison Smith to the outside. So what the Giants are going to do is they're going to run the number one receiver who's off the line of scrimmage and Daniel Bellinger stack. Again, they're basically right on top of each other on a reduced uh, split. So they're inside the numbers. And they're going to run Daniel Bellinger right at the cornerback and then drag Darius Slayton underneath the release of Daniel Bellinger. So what is that going to do? There's no way that cornerback is going to be able to get to Darius Slayton. There's just too much traffic for him to mat- for him to get to Slayton, right? To get to that hip, you just can't do it. So either Harrison Smith is going to stick on the hip of Darius Slayton, mismatch, or Harrison Smith is going to pass Darius Slayton off to Jordan Hicks, mismatch. And that's exactly what happens. You can see Harrison Smith point to Jordan Hicks. You have the under, under call. And now you have Jordan Hicks against Darius Slayton. And that's just football right there. That's X's and O's, and that's putting your players into a position to create a mismatch. It's finding right. a mismatch, and then that's exploiting a mismatch. Great coaching right there from Dable and Kafka, and then Darius Slayton just does the rest. And Daniel Jones, credit to him for recognizing what the hell was going on and seeing that you have Jordan Hicks against Darius Slayton running on the horizontal plane. Best of luck there, Vikings. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing, though. That's not the case for every receiver in the NFL. Richie James on a horizontal plane is not creating that much separation post-catch, and, and really neither is anyone on this roster right now. They can find someone in the draft who can do it for sure. Those guys come into the draft every year, but why not have two on the roster, right? Why not have three on the roster? Because Marcus Johnson can do this too, but he's really bad at a lot of other things, and so he can't get find his way on the field. But when he's on the field, you saw in that play earlier that we broke down, when he ran that vertical route, he took away a corner and he took away a safety, and that opened up the 22-yard play for Darius Slayton. Those are the types of things that Slayton can eventually be the guy playing the Marcus Johnson role, right? And then the other receiver who we bring in or draft can play that role. So I don't know. I'm very steadfast on this, but I'm going to continue to be. Anyway, this sets up a first and 10 situation after a huge 32-yard gain to get them into scoring range. And they try to run on one side of this play a double post cor- uh, two double-post corner routes, uh, or it's a a post from the number one in this three by one set is what I remember from this. Um, he ends up trying to basically go to Barkley on this. There's not really anything too, too egregious here. I just didn't think much was open on this route combo. Now there wasn't a ton open, but I like this route concept against man coverage. Now the Vikings drop with two safeties back. So they're basically in a, uh, some sort of match type of defense. looks like it could be some sort of quarters. There's a high low down at the uh, top of the screen. You could see because the giants are going to take rich James from the number two spot run kind of a post corner route, and then you're going to have a post corner route at the bottom of the screen. So just a bunch of Poco routes. 
And I think you have Daniel Bellinger to the flat, but Daniel Jones opts to go to Saquon Barkley, who is well covered by the linebacker on this play, end up going incomplete. Yep, and that'll set up a second and 10 where they're going to run a post wheel with a with double spot inside. And this is one where it just gets knocked down at the line of scrimmage by the defense. Just the second batted ball of the game from the defense here. Uh, just a tough one for the Giants. Yeah, big 95 gets his hands up there, just knocks it down, puts the Giants into a pretty crappy situation, a third and 10. Yeah, so now the Giants, they find themselves in this third and 10 after the ball was knocked down at the line of scrimmage. You can see how Jones, he is a five-man protection package, so obviously someone ends up kind of coming right into his face. The Giants run, or the Giants face two men under. And I got to say, man, Daniel Jones is just one tough SOB because yes. he's eyes downfield, but there are two safeties that are high. And I got to say, the Vikings are kind of clamped all over the New York Giants. No one's really creating separation. I think you could possibly say Isaiah Hodgins had some leverage on the on the corner route that's to the field side, far throw, Daniel Jones under pressure. Don't throw the football. Daniel Jones is still able to evade Daniel Hunter and then run and lower his shoulder on number 44, a linebacker. And I've got to say, man, the kid's just tough as nails. And this sets up the fourth and two that ends up being a touchdown. But we watch this from the end zone angle. A lot of quarterbacks aren't going to do this. And ideally, True. Dan, and I'm sure you would agree with me, I don't want Daniel Jones doing this. I don't think it's wise. I don't think it's smart. But there is just something about it that you know this is galvanizing his teammates, right? Yeah, you, you're right. Look at that, man. You look at what's going on in Denver right now. And I know they just fired their coach, but like that offense hates Russell Wilson and it sucks, man. It's just a total, like just crappy situation. These players in the New York Giants locker room love Daniel Jones. They yeah. absolutely love this guy. They'd run through a wall for him. And that says something about him. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It does say something. There is some added, you know, intrinsic value added for that type of thing. And I don't know how to quantify it. It's hard to put like, it's not, it's not really tangible, but it's something that you have to consider for sure. And so let's go over the fourth and two play. It's a got to have it play. Saquon Barkley, touchdown run from deep. This is really good individual play from Saquon Barkley. I mean, it's blocked pretty well too, obviously up front. Gates has a really good block, for example, specifically. I thought Gates did a great job on this one. Um, but Saquon Barkley is doing Saquon Barkley things for the most part here. Yeah, you remember when Sean – oh, this is an excellent play by Saquon Barkley. But do you remember when Sean brought up Zadarius Smith aligning on the inside oh, against yeah. the yep. link? Well, we saw him up against Glowinski a couple of times, and here he is up against Nick Gates in a situation that could have easily have been a pass out of the shotgun. The Giants opt to run the football on the fourth and two. Got to have it moment. I think in terms of Saquon Barkley, this is so impressive because not only does he find the crease behind the combo block, Nick Gates does a great job holding up Zadarius Smith, but once he gets the first down, watch how he just puts his foot in the ground and turns the Jets on to cut off that angle of the safety. Like, that is very very impressive and rare to be able to explode out of your break like that when the, the hole is that narrow and you don't even know if you're going to step on someone's legs. Like that is exceptional acceleration out of the break at that point. Right. Completely agree with you on that. Just an impressive play from Saquon Barkley. Game game tie or give them the chance at this game tying conversion. And so we'll wrap up here with our last offensive play of the game. It's the two point conversion. I love the play call. I love the play design. I think on all two point conversions, I've said this on reaction with a rushing quarterback, you should always get him rolling out. But really what I love here is the play by Daniel Jones here and the play by Daniel Bellinger, but mostly by Jones because he's rolling out to his right. And one thing I've seen so much of by Jones this year compared to past years is the patience and the ability to kind of like be, you know, 
be rolling to your right, but not be panicking, not be just like running into the, uh, a defensive player as a runner, not be just like firing a ball low and away to like your first read Barkley. The first read's taken away. This play is designed to have Saquon Barkley open, beating the linebacker and have the linebacker or whoever is, you know, has him responsibility fooled to the run or whatever it may be. But it's covered. And so what does he do? He finds Daniel Bellinger sitting in the soft spot of the zone and then throws a really impressive pass. I love this is arm talent to me, right? When you can change the trajectory of your throws by changing the arm slot, he look at him, change his arm slot where he releases the ball from. It's kind of like almost like a three quarters release from Jones, which you almost never see, right? It's almost always almost all of Jones's throws are over the top throws right over the top of the shoulder. That's how David Cutcliffe taught him. That's how he's done it. But here you see him start from low here kind of like a shock put three force this throw which i love to see and that's why he's able to get the trajectory that he is on this throw if he doesn't get that much trajectory on the throw this is being batted this is an incomplete pass the game's over the giants have no chance to win the game but because he puts that trajectory on the throw he's able to get it over the top to bellinger and it falls right into his hands soft on the money and bellinger taps those two feet in. this is such a good play from jones this is a very good play from daniel jones just putting enough touch on this football to allow his rookie tight end to make this catch. And it's interesting because this is obviously a play design that's going to the offensive right to the field side. You're right about Saquon Barkley. He gets matched by that linebacker. Now you have the other three eligible receivers. They all are kind of covered. And Daniel Jones looks to the backside receiver, the lone backside receiver, who is Daniel Bellinger running that deep over route. He gets lost by the Vikings defense. They all over-pursue those front side routes. And then I feel like Bellinger just does an excellent job finding space. He doesn't continue his run. He sees how number 20 is on Darius Slayton with, well, I believe that's 24 Bynum also in that area, kind of bracketing Slayton. Harrison Smith is underneath with two receivers in front of him. So Bellinger just kind of sits and waits and that backside cornerback, Patrick Peterson almost makes a play on the football, but I feel like this is just a really smart play from Daniel Bellinger just to know to just wait and present himself as a target for Daniel Jones. Excellent throw, excellent play. So unfortunate the Giants weren't able to get the dub. Yeah, just unfortunate. Obviously, you see eventually there um, they gave up the final field goal. It's still crazy to me based on where they were at in that drive. Like, again, the Vikings had 18 seconds from their own 40 in their timeouts, and yet somehow it ends the way it did. But let's break down some superlatives in this game, Nick. Let's start with your unheralded player of the game. Unheralded player of the game, to me, I'm going to go with Isaiah Hodgins. I'm not sure if that's unheralded because he ended up being a very productive wide receiver. I think Darius Slayton could have easily won it. I think Ben Bredesen could have easily won it. But just because Isaiah Hodgins, people are still kind of um, classifying him as like a practice squad receiver because he was yes. found on the practice squad. I think we should give him the unheralded because he's I think showing it's fair to give anyone not named Barkley Jones or Thomas on any given day unheralded. Okay. Yeah. Then it's so definitely Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah. Yeah. Because but for me, it was a two player race. It was Hodgins okay. and it was Slayton because there were three routes that Slayton created an insane amount of vertical separation on and the ball just didn't go his way. But that's unheralded to me right there. You can, on, you know, in a different situation, a different game, you can maybe score a 60 yard touchdown with that kind of separation when you're getting a step or two. I mean, the sluggo route, he had like four yards of separation. I've never seen that much separation all season from a Giants receiver besides maybe that route against Seattle with Slayton as well at the top of the, uh, you know, earlier this season. So I'm going to give it to Slayton just because uh, not just because you went to Hodgins, but because I just think that's unheralded to me. Like he's creating vertical separation. He's threatening defenses He's for even the play you talked about, right? The play with Patrick Peterson couldn't exactly come down to stop that, that route because he kind of had to respect Slayton coming over the top and he felt for yeah. him. That's unheralded stuff right there. So he gets it for me. How about your 
Um, highest, I don't think we do this on offense, so let's skip over that one. How about your best throw of the day from Daniel Jones? Going with the switch release ball to, to, to Richie James there on the post wheel. Because, again, that's a field side throw. We haven't seen a lot of field side throws from Daniel Jones. It's a rip. It's a dart. He puts it, in my opinion, close to on the money. I'm just considering it on the money. I, I just don't think that should be a perfect throw. It's a tough throw to make. And I just haven't seen him attempt a lot of those types of throws. And I'm really glad to see it because I know he saw it on tape. I know he saw Washington do different things to kind of like, you know, pay no respect to that area of the field. And he attacked it and he hit it. That's what I love about it the most is the confidence to do that. Not yeah. that I think Daniel Jones lacks confidence. We just haven't seen him take it. Right. Those types of shots. You got to, like we said, you got to res- make that defense respect every inch of the field. Minnesota is a good defense to to force them to do that because they kind of suck on the back end. <laughs> And <laughs> negative YouTube comments, please, Minnesota Vikings fans, please. Oh, but uh, I would have to say, I, it probably would be that Richie James, though. But I'm going to go with the Isaiah Hodgins one on the double. Okay. Move, is also my favorite route. So just bleed into that. That Isaiah Hodgins double move, which we know is in his arsenal because he ran it against Philadelphia. Right. It's disgustingly effective. And, and not only that, as far as why it should be your, your favorite throw, your best throw, because he also was taking a hit on that one, which he wasn't on the Richie James one. So I think that probably adds to it as well and there's a lot of great throws in this game i would put the bellinger two-point conversion in there personally because i just love to see a different arm slot a different trajectory and that was a really difficult throw again if that trajectory is off it's not a completion so there are a few balls in this game that i thought jones had i thought jones throw the ball really well in this game which was great to see because that's what we need how about the best route or you did the best route for me the best route is going to be the darius slayton sluggo route as i said earlier on that route he created four or five yards of separation that's insane. I never see that from, from anyone on the Giants. Maybe other receivers on the NFL are doing that, but I don't see that often. And so that'll be my favorite, that sluggo route we went over. How about the best play call from Mike Kafka, your favorite play call from Mike Kafka? I think it's the Darius Slayton drag that I broke down like maybe yep. 20 minutes ago with like Daniel Bellinger releasing to the cornerback. And then just, that's going to create a mismatch between a safety and Darius Slayton or a linebacker and Darius Slayton. The undercall happened, the undercall happened, and then 30-plus yard gain on Darius Slayton because of it. Yep, I think that's fair. I will go with the, unfortunately, the fumble with Daniel Bellinger. I just like the design there out of eye form. We haven't seen that. Got him matched up one-on-one against the linebacker. I think he's going to win that every time. And you had the clear out on the bottom, uh, you know, to his side to where he was running. So it really created a lot of space. Unfortunately, it was a fumble. Um, Best player on tape? Best player on tape? I guess I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas, and I know he was credited for the sack, but I still think Andrew Thomas is just a shutdown tackle that you can isolate basically all the time against slide protection on the other way, and he can go up against your best pass rusher and and, and be effective. So I'm going to go with Thomas, although I think Daniel Jones has a solid case and Saquon Barkley probably too. It's a two-man competition for me between Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas. I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas, though, for the reasons you broke down. I think he was a little bit more perfect, though Jones had a really freaking phenomenal game. But it's this close for me, that race, and I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas. All right. Did we? Oh, let's finish up with a pass blocking grade and a run blocking grade. Let's start with the pass blocking grade, 1 through 10. Pass blocking was, I would say, adequate to solid. Evan Neal was definitely an issue, so I'm going to go with a 5.8. I think that's fair. Evan Neal was an issue. Nick Gates had his troubles at times. Luciano was on the ground for one play. That could have been a huge play if he didn't get tripped up. So there were some issues, but overall, they were able to throw the ball a lot in this game. So and and well. And, and, and well. well. So I got to go in the 6 range. I'm going to go 6-6 six, six because of that. Let's do a run blocking grade 1 through 10. We'll wrap up there. I'm going to think a slightly higher than the pass blocking, so 6-2. 
Yeah, the run blocking was much better in this game. It's been better in recent weeks. Starting last week, they start to finally get some push up front with Duo. I think Ben Bredesen's playing a huge role in that personally. Um, and I think even having, you know, just in general, having a little bit more uh, continuity on the line helps. So I'll go with a 6-2 for the run blocking. Uh, I know that's lower than my pass blocking grade, but I did feel like the pass blocking, again, when you throw the ball that many times and you don't have too many plays blown up by the pass blocking, it's a good sign to me. Uh, so I'll go with that. So we'll wrap up there. So the offensive film breakdown. Merry Christmas to all. It's now after Christmas. Going to be New Year soon. And the defensive film tomorrow, uh, most likely I think Nick has some 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 plans and some things so we'll work around and we'll figure it out we'll have a preview for the Colts coming up and hopefully maybe do something else like a mailbag before New Year's or something like that so you guys in case you're driving anywhere before New Year's or going to plans that you need a podcast or commute we can pick that up so otherwise great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon